Hello and welcome to episode 154 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is our big ARMS episode, so we're calling it Pulling No Punches, because for everything ARMS does well, which is a fair amount, I think we both agree, yes, no, that um, maybe it's not the home run that Nintendo is counting on, or I guess total knockout would be the more appropriate analogy to run with. It's yeah. good, just not the best it can be. So we're going to explain what the go- what went right, what went wrong, when we do impressions later in the show, the lost impressions of the upcoming 3DS RPG Metopia. And uh, the rather large Pokemon Go update that just happened recently that introduced new raids uh, and gym battles and that sort of thing. So we'll have all that. First, however, we've got news. Uh, you would think, honestly, that – at least I would think that it would be pretty quiet after E3. Nintendo, you know, announces everything and then there's just like the lull. But in that lull, Nintendo decided to still do stuff. So we got the Super Nintendo Classic to talk about. We've got a Splatoon 2 Direct to talk about. Plus, we also have other topics like some third-party Switch games and sales. And at the very end of the show, we will be announcing our E3 Swag Pack giveaway winner. So, long story short, we have timestamps around Use those if there's anything you're specifically interested in. Also, for the record, this is the hottest temperature we've ever recorded our podcast in. So, if one of us passes out halfway through, it's because it's 100 degrees where we're currently sitting. So, just keep that in mind as we mosey on yeah, through our topics. for the Meganium episode, Sunny Day. It's it's not just sunny though. This is like a magmar episode almost. It's like hot. This is a slugma episode if you want to do a second gen uh, fire type. It is it is hot. But anyway, now that we got all that out of the that way, that was some pigeon plant type, but huh? Oh yeah, because of the yeah. But I'm saying it's so hot. That, yeah. yeah. Anyway, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk the SNES Classic. Okay. It was first rumored a couple months ago and kind of alluded to then, but then the day after our last episode went up. Here comes Nintendo out of nowhere confirming it. Uh, if you've been living under a rock, I know you know about Angel, but for anyone listening, uh, it's the mini Super Nintendo will get you for $80, 20 classic games, two controllers, and much to the surprise of, I think, everyone, a 21st game in Star Fox 2. Which means we basically now live in a bizarre world where Star Fox 2, after 22 years of not being a thing, is now a thing. Which is probably the longest delay of a game ever i think that tops duke nukem probably Definitely. i mean this is like super nintendo yeah like yeah it's like mid 90s too it's yeah 22 years so it's almost it's about a... time nintendo it's about yeah. time but but let's unpack all that stuff i just rattled off a bit because there, there's some interesting stuff in here i think like first of all you've got the game lineup so there as i mentioned there are 21 games uh in total they range from exactly what you'd expect you know the mario world and the donkey kong countries and a link between past of the super nintendo era to some surprises like so, uh, Super Ghouls and Ghosts and Kirby's Dream Course of all things and Earthbound, uh, but beyond that, what I think is kind of nice about the lineup, and they did this with the S uh, with the original NES Classic as well. But I think it's kind of cool that they managed to represent every genre, every key genre of the early '90s and the Super Nintendo era on the Classic. Like it, they didn't like skip anything, they didn't skimp on anything. They made sure each genre was represented, not just with one game, but multiple games that are kind of the pinnacle of that genre. So you've got like. On the RPG side, you don't just have Mario RPG, which is the easiest for Nintendo to do, or Final Fantasy III. They also put in Secret of Mana, which is kind of cool. Or for fighting game fans, they made sure that it had a Street Fighter, hyper, uh, hyper fighting specifically, Street Fighter Two Turbo hyper fighting. Which, if I'm not mistaken, that's usually considered the best of the Super Nintendo bunch, right? I don't know. Some people like Super Street Fighter Two Turbo. I feel like that's the one that a lot of people really liked. But I mean, I don't but know. But this is Turbo. It's Turbo hyper fighting. It's the second Turbo. 
No, there's one that that's one that's called Super, Street, Super Street Fighter Two Hyper Fighting, and there's one that's called Street Fighter Two. I don't know that oh, right. because I remember um, Capcom. They were they were tweeting about like, oh, the Super Nintendo, the Super Nintendo Mini just got announced and it has these games, and they name dropped their Street Fighter game. But then later they corrected themselves. They're like, oh, I'm sorry, we actually meant the regular version, not the. Well, it makes me whatever. feel better that we're confused about which Street Fighter is if Capcom themselves doesn't know which yeah, Street yeah, Fighter like we jumped is. the gun, so yeah, I'm not even really sure which. Yeah, one well, but still, they have that in there, which is good because that's like like fine games. That's when they came up. That's when they became a thing. Was the Super Nintendo Genesis era? So it's cool if they yeah. Nintendo make sure to get. So one if you in didn't there. already have Street Fighter Two for like the nth time, or for forty dollars on the Switch, you can now get it with twenty other games for eighty dollars. So think about that: it's a forty dollar game plus twenty other games for forty dollars. What a bargain! That's one way you could look at it after, you know, the Switch version. But uh, I'm checking right now, in case you're wondering, on the official Classic NES website, it is listed as, I can't tell because it's a really small box art that doesn't actually say sweet. Okay, never mind. Someone even in the comments leave us a correction if we got the wrong one. But besides that, I was, I was saying, like, besides, you know, the RPGs and the uh, fighting games, like, on the racing front, they have F-Zero and Mario Kart. On the adventure front, they have Super Metroid and Super Castlevania for... If running guns more your thing, you got Contra Three and Mega Man X. Like they really didn't just do like one game per genre. They really tried to actually like beef it up a little. I'd say the only genre that's underrepresented that was really a big thing on Super Nintendo is probably sports. They have Super Punch Out. That's barely a sports game. And there's no actual like Tech Mobile like Super Tech Mobile or anything or Madden or anything like that. So that's kind of a weird oversight because that was much in the same way, fine games came up. I feel in like that, that was era. more Sega than anything, though. It was to some extent, but like not, Madden '94 was still a thing on Super Nintendo. Hmm. It just seems like a little odd, but yeah, you're right. It might have been more of a Sega thing, which might be why. It's certainly an early '90s thing. But but yeah, besides it's that, also an illegal thing, huh? Know. Yeah, it of course, could be a legal thing. They might EA might not sign off on that, definitely. But besides that, it's a really well-rounded list. I think like it, it's impressive. It's it's also interesting to see that like if you look at how it compares to the Japanese Super Famicom classic. Like, the, the different genres they chose are kind of tongue. Like, over in Japan, they have a Fire Emblem and a Puzzle League game, or Pound Upon is known over there, because those genres obviously much bigger in Japan. Over here, strategy and puzzle weren't too much of a thing. We had Tetris Attack, but that's about it. So, naturally, they're left off. It's, kind of, it's just kind of interesting to see the differences between the regions. But, like, of all those, what what caught your eye? Were you more... Was it, like, the, the go-tos that really drew... That really were like, oh, that's cool, that's in there. Was it, like... Super Castlevania 4 or something that you wouldn't necessarily expect because there must be something on that list it's someone that you've said before the Super Nintendo is like your thing more than the NES so there must be something you're like that's cool that's there or whatever I don't know when the list was revealed it was actually kind of the thing that made me decide I don't want it anymore not that there's anything wrong with the list but everything is just so familiar familiar I, I don't know I guess it just it was like another it was almost that final nail in the coffin of I finally tipped over that border where I don't want to buy the same game over and over again. To be honest, I was and sort of in the same boat. Especially because, like, I mean, I wouldn't get, kind of like the NES Classic, I definitely would not be getting this for the games. Because I probably wouldn't be playing the Super Nintendo Classic. I still, if I want to play the Super Nintendo, mine is still in perfect working order and I still have all my games stored away in a nice spot. Right. So it'd just be getting, it'd just be for the small plastic box, but I don't really have a place to put it that I would want to put it in. Like, at that point, I'd rather just display my actual Super Nintendo. Right. And it's weird, because I really was looking forward to this announcement. When the SNES came out, I'm like, oh, the Super Nintendo one would be awesome. You mean but when the NES came when out? When the NES yeah. came out, but yeah. now that it's 
official. I just lost all interest. It, it's funny because I was sort of in the same. Eighty bucks, like. Well, well, that's the thing. Like I was sort of in the same boat. So like yeah, when I saw the lineup, games. well, I'll, I'll get to the ADR thing. But like when I saw the lineup, it didn't like as a general sampling of the Super Nintendo. It's great, but on like a personal level, a lot of the heavy hitters I thought would impact me didn't. Like Super Mario World's my all-time favorite game. Link Between Pass, great game. Yeah. A uh, Link to the Past? I mean, A Link to the Past, Link Between Pass. Wow. I think you said the, the first Gang time Yeah, I meant A Link... I, yeah, I keep thinking A Link Between Worlds and then correcting myself mid-sentence, I get A Link Between Past and Present <laughs> and Future. That's the premise. But, uh, yeah, I like that. Or, like, I'm always a sucker for how Yoshi's Island looks, especially, like, the original emulation, not the Game Boy one. Like, that crayon effect's really cool. So normally it'd be all about that. But when this announcement came out, I was kind of like... Oh, all right i it's probably to your point like they've been on virtual console so much they've yeah. been on the they've 3ds been released, they've been released on game boy advance they're on game boy advance a bunch of them like that yeah like there's have all some these... of them on the wii u when they were on sale yeah like all these things kind of make it less have of... them on my 3ds yeah because they released the super nintendo games recently so yeah. i suspect honestly that nintendo anticipated a lot of the diehards like us would be feeling this way about the classic honestly this is good this is something I would buy for someone that never owned a Super Nintendo. Right, it's a great sample. I'm always telling like, oh, you should play it. Like, you missed out on all these great games, and they didn't necessarily have a 3DS or Wii U. Yeah. Then that's like, those are like the games I would want them to at least play out. But, yeah, for me, I don't know. I think I'm just going to skip it and just use that money for, that's literally Splatoon and the DLC. Right. <laughs> for Zelda, right, right. there. Yeah, no, I, I suspect, I was trying to say that, I suspect Nintendo anticipated that people like you would have that opinion or people like me would be like, oh, my favorite games, but I own them so many times. Well, why would I do it again? Like, there's certainly a mental hurdle here that was less so with the NES, yeah, maybe? Star Fox is definitely like that. Like, 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 oh, I don't care about any other games. I would, would pay enough just for that. That's me. But, <laughs> um, me being me, like, I, yeah, Star I could Fox, care less yeah. about Star Fox. But yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. Unless it's Star Fox Assault or Adventure. Well, it's neither of those. But, um, yeah. no, I think it's kind of interesting because if you look at not just the ports, but what the SNES represents, the classic. Like, the NES and this whole angle of, like, hey, parents, show your kids what you used to play growing up. Not that many people that grew up with the Super Nintendo have kids right now, I feel like. Like, it's not They're as prevalent. They're barely yeah. starting so they to get also, married so not, and or have a kid or two. Exactly. So not only do we not have the pull of the ports because we already own so many, we also don't have the marketing. Like, from Nintendo's angle, they also don't have people buying it for the marketing slam I'm going to show my kids. So it's kind of like they had to come up with more stuff to make it worthwhile which is to your point the $80 thing I think Nintendo is super savvy in what they did they did a $20 price check a 20 wow $20 price increase there we go um over the NES classic and I think they could argue they could easily argued yes 10 fewer games but think about how much bigger an earthbound or Mario RPG is over balloon fight or the original Zelda yes that's what I was getting at but they then added the second controller they then added Star Fox 2, which is a totally new thing that's never been out before. They very consciously, I think, did the price increase in tandem with value add-ins to get people to care. You might not care, as you said before, you might not care about the 20 games, but if, 20, if game 21 is unreleased Star Fox 2, that might be enough. You might say, okay, I have NES Classic and I had to buy a second controller and that was $70. $10 more to get the Super NES Classic with a second controller sure why not like it, it the value changes significantly when you think of it as a whole package versus just the games which i think was very intentional yeah, i honestly don't think adding games or even changing some of them would convince you like i'm thinking like what yeah. games would i want on there like maybe put in the entire donkey kong trilogy maybe not three that seems like a waste of spit no offense to donkey no no, kong no i mean it, three, no, if, but if, like <laughs> no if, if there was no like limit space like if they right. were gonna just gonna put anything yeah but um 
from the Taz game from Sunsoft and uh, Monopoly, maybe. Monopoly actually would have been cool. I do like Monopoly yeah. on Super Nintendo. Uniracers would have been great, but they had that whole legal spat with Pixar, so that's never going to happen. But, but to the original question of what game are we looking forward to, so you is apparently nothing. Me, I mean, of course, Star Fox 2. Like, I don't know how familiar you are with the history of how Star Fox At didn't Nazi come out. Man. Do you know the whole story? I don't know. Enough, to, well, enough, I guess. To what I would that care be- to know, I uh, guess. <laughs> well, basically, for those listening that may not know or be curious, it was this close to being released in the mid-90s, only to be shelved at the very last minute. Um, Nintendo Life actually put together a really great feature and interview with the game's lead developer, uh, Dylan Cuthbert, where he kind of walks through everything about it. But in a nutshell, to save you how you listen to me too much, uh, in a nutshell, Nintendo basically did decide not to release it because they wanted a clean break from the pseudo-3D of Super FX, and they wanted real 3D which was coming with the N64 and they needed it sooner rather than later to compete with the 32-bit Saturn and PlayStation. So what they did is they looked at Star Fox 2 and they went, well, this looks bad against the 32-bit system and the N64 will, at the time, be out within a year. It got delayed another year. Uh, so we might as well just do it now. Let's just cut cut our losses with Star Fox 2. We'll just stop development. You know it's basically done. We won't QA it. We'll just let it be. We'll take some of the best ideas from it, such as free-range flying, which is what became all-range mode, and put that in 64. They put some of the ideas in Star Fox Command a decade later, but the actual Star Fox 2 in scenario, in characters, in plot, never actually saw light of day outside of illegal ROMs that got leaked. And those ROMs weren't even QA'd versions of the game. So what we're getting on the Super Nintendo is the first real polished final version of Star Fox 2. And as a fan of Star, as a big fan of Star Fox, I'm pretty excited about that. I'm also pretty excited for the original Star Fox. I call myself a big fan. I've never played the Super Nintendo Star Fox in my life. So I'm excited to try that out and see if I love it or hate it or what. I'm sure it's so. a short game, so maybe you'll be able to beat it. I beat, I beat Star Fox 64, thank you very oh. much. And, and uh, yep, 64, that's all. Oh, Command, but that had like 27 endings, so it was really easy to beat. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's actually kind of close. It's really cheesy what they're doing by also Oh, you're kinda... saying you will then? Like, no questions yeah, asked? Yeah, sure. It's also not no questions asked, but I'll try. Uh, it's all it's super cheesy what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, sure. But, maybe not. Yeah, maybe possibly any time. Yeah, sure, any time except the time that I specify, which maybe never. But um, I do. What I'm trying to say is, I think I like how they do the unlock for Star Fox Two. So you have to play one level of Star Fox One to unlock Star Fox Two. Now, could you imagine if they didn't promote Star Fox Two and people just get their Super Nintendo Classics? They beat a level of Star Fox, and the game's like, "Congrats!" Here, or the system is like, "Congrats!" Here's a game from 22 years ago that never got released, like a, the unicorn of Nintendo games, and now you can play it. That would have been amazing. It was—they never would have done that because the marketing potential of having Star Fox Two is too great to not mention it. But ah, uh, that would have been like one of the best gaming moments ever for me if I was like playing Star Fox and that just threw an unreleased game at me. What if they did what they did now, but their actual Trojan horse was the Mother Three? Like you have to play like the first. Well, hour. it'll be the same deal. Like you play the first of hour Earthbound. Earthbound, but this... well, the only difference with that is Mother Three was on Game Boy Advance, so it's a whole different system. Oh, good point. That was yeah, that was after. Forgot about that. And I know Nintendo likes to treat the Game Boy Advance like a portable Super Nintendo with all the ports, but it really wasn't, so yeah. it doesn't have Super FX. That's another interesting interesting thing, actually. Did you know, so the Super FX chip is how you do all the fake 3D on the Super Nintendo. Did you know all the Game Boy Advance ports, that, namely Yoshi's Island, that would have needed Super FX actually didn't use it? They came up with some other workaround because there was a patent on the Super FX. That's now over with. It doesn't make a difference because they're still not using Super FX for the emulation on this, but they apparently have figured out a way to better mime it or copy it than they did in the past, which is kind of interesting. So the Yoshi's Island on this will probably be more authentic than the Yoshi's Island 
on your Game Boy Advance. In fact, all the games that were on Game Boy Advance will be more authentic on the Classic because on the Classic, the aspect ratio is the usual 4-3, not the weird Game Boy-like 15-6 or whatever bizarro thing. It was not a true 4-3 screen at all. It was some weird other one. You know, so was it 15-9? No, there was clipping on the sides of, oh. of those games that's now going to be gone again. So, But yeah, the, game, the games are really only half the story with the uh, Super Nintendo Classic. The other half is, of course, getting one. And from what Nintendo has been saying, it seems like they perhaps learned from getting the NES, cla- you know, learned from the mistakes of trying to get NES classics out to people. Uh, they're being very clear up front that this is a limited time product. That's the first. They're also promising significantly more units, and they're giving it an extra long lead time into the holidays. The NES classic, as you may recall, came out early November. This one comes out September 29th. That's a solid two more months almost, or a month and a half. Um, Understandably, though, and for good reason, some folks online are still concerned they won't have nearly enough units available. Uh, that's only made worse by the recent fact. I don't know if you hear about this, but in the UK, they're already canceling pre-orders. So Argos, which is a uh, retailer over there, has started canceling Super NES Classic pre-orders. No. Uh, yeah. So that that doesn't bode well. But I like to think, I really do think, Nintendo may have actually course-corrected from the NES. They may be learning from their mistakes. We may be able to avoid that fiasco. And I say that because we have a company who now has heard the complaints and responded to, com- to the complaints about a lot of the NES Classic. Like, the cord. It's two feet longer on the Super Nintendo versus the NES because they heard people found it too short. The fact that there's a second controller in the box. That addresses a lot of the issues that people had with trying to find a- or get a second controller. So they're out there responding to actual issues, which makes me think there must be hope that they are going to fix this too. Because, I mean, production's two months earlier... In theory, they've been producing it since May, when it was first rumored that it entered production. They have a long lead time. It makes me think that even a company as conservative as Nintendo might actually, for once, get this right with supply and demand. So, we'll see. You get to avoid that whole. You get to avoid that whole thing completely, but I will get to go into the bloodbath that is trying to pre-order one as yeah. soon as they put them up, which they still haven't done, which is super annoying. Unless it's for something digital related, I don't feel like. Putting myself through more of these things. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't blame you. I mean, after Amiibo, oh my god. Yeah, well, even Amiibo, they're getting better at, sort of. They well, put up more um, Metroid Amiibo. Remember last episode, I was like, oh, I couldn't get the Metroid Amiibo. Best Buy put up more. I got oh, it. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. yeah. So. That sounds good, but yeah, like, Amiibo was just too often. Yeah, it was just too fast. Like, since you were done with one, like, less than a month later, you were already trying to get the next one. It was just, it was like a battlefield. Now we're a year apart with the classic systems, at least. Um, and you know, honestly, the classic systems lead to a whole different question. Like, what's up with virtual console? Because we now have two separate, all-in-one, inclusive retro game devices from Nintendo, and everyone keeps asking about virtual console. E3 came and went without a peep about how it's going to work on Switch, beyond you know the classic game service where they're basically like, "Hey, you can get select games to play as much as you want, but only like four at a time. Except we'll add more, but we won't tell you what they are or when they are. But it's coming in 2018." Like, that's all we've heard. It just seems, you know, it's really starting to feel like if you look at all these classic systems coming out, to me at least, it's starting to feel like Nintendo's moving away from individual games being sold all the cart. It seems like they're moving towards more of these little plug in boxes, at least for the truly retro tiles. So, I, I mean, is that the right move? I mean, Nintendo's outright saying it. Like, in their annual shareholder meeting last week, someone specifically asked, What's going on with Virtual Console? Is this the future of Virtual Console? And Satoshi, um, uh, Yamato, I think that's how you say it, who's Nintendo's general marketing manager for the whole company, he straight up said the classic systems are a type of virtual console in Nintendo's mind. Hmm. 
He went on to say that Nintendo could, in theory, sell them as packaged software or downloads down the line. Like, you know, kind of compilations of like, hey, it's the Super Nintendo Classic collection for your Switch or whatever. But they don't know when they're going to do it. They need to look into the business model and see if there's demand. Which, if you take it what if you take what he says at face value that they're looking into it and seeing if there's demand, he's basically saying, yeah, you know, we don't have a virtual console plan besides these physical things that we can sell for 80 bucks a pop. That That's kind of what he's saying. So... I don't know. I mean, it, it. Well, I mean, how far can they even go? Like, are they going to go past N64? No, like, I, I think they can only get to N64. Yeah, I think they could do N64 next year hand, oh, yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they could do a GameCube Classic. I don't think they could do a Wii Classic. <laughs> a Wii U Classic. They certainly won't do a Wii U Classic. <laughs> um, honestly, I think what they would do is like Virtual NES Boy Classic. That would be cool, but there's no way. No way. They can't even do it mini. No, they can't even do it. They can't even seem to do it on Virtual Console, which should be easy on the 3DS. Well, missed opportunity, right? Like, they could have just emulated it. DS Classic. Just for the historic value. Do you think they might go to Game Boy Classic? Just, like, re-release the Game Boy as it was? Uh, I could see that. I, I could see a Game, Game Boy, Boy or Game Boy. Yeah, it'd be like... But that's the thing. It's like the classics, they're mini, but they play on a big TV. So how do you do it with a Game Boy or a Game Boy Color? Well, you have to play... It's on just, a little TV. It's just, it's just <laughs> a the Game Boy Light, basically. Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, they... they I think with a light, not, like, small. Yeah. So they, they could. I don't know if they will, but they they could. But but what I, what I think is interesting is um, what's it Yamato's Yamoto Yamato's comment about how they don't really have plans to do anything beyond physical right now. Kind of meshes with my theory that the classic systems may be like a Disney Vault situation. You know, they come and go every so often to keep demand high. Um, I first said that back in I think April when the NES Classic was officially discontinued. But in light of the comments, it kind of seems more likely because you don't necessarily want to detract from the lore of the physical boxes by releasing all in one or all the games as one-off downloads. So if they have to quote evaluate the market before any moves, that's basically them being like, "Yeah, we can, you know, just keep releasing things and taking them off the shelf and putting them back on the shelf to evaluate how it's going and then decide from there what to do." And this still lives, you know, separate from the classic games uh, selection, which is a way to let people buy or let people play these games on their current systems but if you want to buy them Nintendo could just be like hey you're, we're Disney vaulting you you're gonna have to just roll with it and buy these little boxes so it'll be interesting to see, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out but it does it does seem like there's like a two prong approach here where the old old stuff might be physical collectible boxes and the new stuff might still be downloads I don't know why they haven't even announced that's annoying I just want to know already just... I don't know why they haven't announced GameCube and Wii games on Switch. That seems like a no-brainer. Like, it would also be smart for Wii U, because they could bring over games without investing a lot of resources. Because there's a thing, uh, Reggie, I think it's IGN, was saying in an interview during E3 that Wii U games would make sense coming to Switch for a wider audience, but Nintendo insists that they don't want to just port them over. The developers insist that if they're going to bring a game to Switch, they do it Mario Kart 8 Deluxe or Pokemon Tournament style, where there are new things added just to keep returning players happy. But if Nintendo were to do a proper virtual console for GameCube, Wii, Wii U, that would give them the excuse to not bother investing in new development and they could just pump games over. Like, the virtual console name literally implies it's a carbon copy of what the older release was. There's no harm, no foul. There's no upsetting people. It's just, hey, here's Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. Enjoy. Like, that would be such an easy way for them to build up a bigger audience for those games, so... I don't know. It seems like kind of an oversight for them to just be sitting on their, like, resting on their laurels like this. I get it for retro, retro stuff. Super Nintendo NES, maybe N64. I don't get it for GameCube, Wii, Wii U. Well, I mean, it sounds like you just want an all-in-one. I just want all those games on my Switch, so I don't have to 
use anything else. Yes, that sounds like something. Well, it depends on what they do with classic game selection, I guess. I mean, I'm fine with Switch and 3DS. I mean, that's where I'm still playing Donkey Kong Country 2, but... Yeah. Right. I, I'm not a fan of what it seems they're doing. Yeah. At least so far. But so far, yeah. Yeah, time will tell. See, the, the, the lack of communication is a problem, so I guess time will tell, but... But it's all said and done. I'm excited for the Super Nintendo Classic. It's going to be great next to my NES Classic on the shelf. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, going from a discussion of all the games to just one, how about that Splatoon 2 Direct this past week, huh? That was, uh, you know, the game's coming out in a few weeks, so Nintendo... that was a thing. Yeah, Nintendo put out this 26-minute video that kind of outlined every major change, each battle type now giving you a separate rank, what the new specials are, the introduction of the new pop starlets, Pearl and Marina, the latter of which I think had probably the fastest fan following ever. It was like from zero to sixty. <laughs> like it was so. It went from no one knew who she was to there's fan art every other tweet when I go on Twitter in like five minutes flat. It was nuts. Yep. But uh, yeah, there's not. I feel like there's not much we're gonna get into about the nitty gritty of like oh how gear works, new items, new weapons. But there were two things that did stand out that I think are kind of worth talking about from the direct. One is Salmon Run and its restrictions, and two is the Nintendo Switch Online app with Splatnet two baked in. So before we get to either of those, though, actually. There is one third thing we should probably mention. So a week oh. from now, or a week from when this episode goes up, Saturday, July, I want to say 13th, they're going to be doing a pre-launch Splatfest where you can download an app, do the Splatfest, and the question that of which team you have to... The team choice is d- determined by Team Cake or Team Ice Cream. So which side are you on? Uh, what side are you on? I asked you first. Because I have a dilemma. I have a real dilemma. Which is why I'm not answering. Because I want ice cream cake, but that's not a thing. Like, my favorite cake is ice cream cake. So does that mean I go team ice cream or team cake? I, I honestly don't know. Oh, that's an easy one. You just go to team cake. Why? It's still made It's cons- It's made of ice cream. It's still a it's cake. A, it's, it's labeled it's, as but, a cake. But it's also labeled as ice cream. It's, it's ice cream cake. It's just cake with ice cream. But there is no cake. I guess the very bottom is cake. Mean, I don't know, if you want cake-flavored ice cream, then that would definitely be in the ice cream category, not the cake one. Or cake with cake bits, You're right. that's still ice cream. You're right. Like You're right. Yeah. You're right. Okay, I guess, so where are you picking? I guess I'm team cake, where are you? Um, I don't know, probably toss a coin or something. Do you not have a preference? Well, you... It's 100 degrees in this room right now. I'm sweating up a storm. Ice cream sounds amazing right now, and I'm still doing team cake. If I can decide that, you can decide it. Um, what are you? <laughs> no, I know. I already picked, actually. I'm just going with ice cream. Is that why you told me to do cake? Because you don't want me dragging you down? Yes. So is ice cream cake not cake? Now I'm back to my existential I would still, crisis. It's I would, still cake? I, I would still hold to that argument. Okay. okay. I, I stand by my my argument. <laughs> now the next question, are you Team Pearl or Team Marina? Neither. Really? Don't really care. At all? To make a choice between them? What if there's a Splatfest about it, like there was Callie and Marie? Huh? What if there's a Splatfest like there was Callie versus Marie? I don't know who to pick. I always have to wait for their... Hmm. But there's to be more character development through their dialogue, I guess. Marina's the better character in design, but Pearl raps. And a rapping, inc- rapping you know inkling's pretty then amazing. Then I guess I'd probably so. go with Marina. Because of the rapping I don't really inkling. care for rapping. Hmm. Interesting. Marina's a much better design. Okay, so I'm Team Ice Cream. Wait, I'm Team Cake Much and I'm Team Marina. Your Team Ice Cream. Ice Cream and just because Team it's Marina. Closer related to 
milkshakes, which I love. You know what they do, those milkshakes. If you live near Burger King, I highly recommend oh, okay. you go to get a strawberry, I mean, not the strawberry, the Fruit Loops milkshake. Fruit Loops? Don't you mean Lucky Charms? Fruit Loops milkshake. Lucky Charms? In stores now. I just had one as we were finished, as we were starting this podcast. Wait, I, I thought you, one. it's Lucky Charms. Fruit it's Loops. Fruit Loops? They have both? They have both. Huh. Yeah, the Fruit Loops one's amazing. It's like sugary, fruity, vanilla amazingness. It's really good. So you would be option C of ice cream versus cake milkshake, Fruit Loop milkshake. Yeah. All right. Now that that's out of the way, <laughs> now that we got through all that, uh, those salmon run restrictions. So as you know from last episode, I found salmon run to be a really fun mode. It's a fun little horde mode. I really enjoyed it at E3. And what was shown in the direct kind of further solidified that for me. But what came out in tandem with what they showed in the direct definitely left a bad taste in my mouth. And that's this idea that online play for Salmon Run is only during set limited times at Nintendo's discretion. Much like a Splatfest, you can't just play it whenever you want. You need to do it when Nintendo says you You mean you can't play with my friends whenever I want? You can locally. You can't online. Yes, you can online. No, you cannot. Are you sure? Positive. If you want to do Salmon Run online, period. End of if you want to do, well that's not a bad place that's the wrong place for a period if you want to do salmon run online you have to do it when nintendo has the servers on at set times hmm. it's not very smart now the big the big question is why you could argue it's a way better way to prevent people from grinding to collect a whole bunch of salmon eggs that give them a whole bunch of items early in the game because if it's not if you can't do it online the likelihood you're gonna grind a lot less but you could in theory still grind locally with friends where there's no restrictions, so there goes that argument. You could also argue it's to ensure that there's plenty of players for making you know every Salmon Run a true event in the way a Splatfest is, but it's not like they need to do that for Turf Wars or ranked matches or anything else, so that argument kind of goes away. Which means there's really no reason for it. Like, I mean, what, you were saying to me when we were talking about this before, um, like a few days ago when it first came out, as long as you have friends, you're happy, right? Like online, offline, as long as you had friends to play with, you're good. Yeah, but if it's, but if it's just to those times, that does kind of suck. Well, I mean, from my understanding, it is. Well, it just sucks in theory because not every one of those is going to be available, and for that kind of mode, I'm the kind of person that would rather play with a full team of friends. Like I don't really care. Well, you're gonna have a hard time doing that. You're gonna have four friends always ready to play. I need three. You don't need. You don't even need three. You know. So, to your, to your credit. The developers are doing exactly what that. They want you to play with a small group of friends. The entire mode, they're saying in an interview with Glixel, exists specifically for the purpose you're describing. They're like, well, what if a small group of friends come together locally with their Switches and they want to do a game of Splatoon? You can't do a Turf War if there's only three or four of you. Why don't we make Salmon Run? That's literally where it came from. So you are 100% on point with that. But the thing is, the end product of what Salmon Run became does accommodate what you want to do, but also let you do it with other people without like hindering your experience. So I don't know why why are you, why would you be against it? You don't have to you don't voice chat with the other people at that point. How it works is you'll get buttons that give you commands of like over here or help and now indicate where the horde's coming in and when you die and those are shown to the other players. And then you do get a voice chat with anyone on your friends list who may be playing with you. So if there's two of you playing online, you can have two strangers join your team and it's that setup. If there's four of you playing online, you don't need the strangers and you can all voice chat. If there's three of you, one person. And if you play solo, there's a bear and the bear will give you tips and advice as if he was your friend. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, so it seems like they cover the bases of why you may only like solo, uh, local, real friends. But is there something I'm not? 
thinking of. It's just a preference. All right, that's fair. I just I would just rather play with a consistent group of people that I could chat with and form strategies with, and just yeah, you know, just the same group of people every time. That's fair. Good luck finding four at all times, but shouldn't be hard. Do you say it should be hard? I said shouldn't be hard. Uh, I mean, I already right. have three in mind. But but you know what kind of bothers me is like, I know that does not include you. Thanks. You know what kind of because uh, bo- you're very inconsistent. I am very inconsistent um, with being available to play games. Uh, you know what kind of bothers me though is every time I just rattled off about what they're building into the game to allow for online play, negates the need to limit online play. Like if they're saying, "Oh, it's for local people," and then we want them to be able to occasionally play online. Okay, so leave it open to them. Oh, you only have two people. Okay, so if you and I sit down and say, "Let's play uh, Salmon Run" after we record today. We can't unless Nintendo conveniently, separately, is like, let's let people play it Saturday afternoon. Like, what? It doesn't make sense. They said we could play locally. We can, but we need two more people. Oh. If it's just you and me, we have, not, we have no way of playing it. We're literally locked out. I see. It's, at least from my understanding of how the mode works, which is really silly. So, like, like, the, like the developers managed to address every scenario of how you could play Sp- Salmon Run, and then they still decide to cap when you can play Salmon Run. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. It's just a bad design choice. Like, it's the single new mode, totally new mode in Splatoon Two, and they're like, well, at our discretion. And I can't, I can't even justify why they're doing it. Is it like a server load issue? Do they not want to turn on more servers? Like, I don't really get yeah, it. I mean, if you look at their little calendar, I mean, that's obviously still tentative. I don't know if that's fine or not, but it, it looked, showed every other day. Yeah. It, it looked pretty generous. It looked like you could play like for almost like four months straight it said like February to July or something what? like that I, I, the screenshot I saw was you play every other day basically yeah, I could have thrown like the one all the way at the top had like a huge range and then after that I guess but I'm at just... that point why even limit it at all I know, that's then why just it... call it server maintenance when no, it's that's why it's yeah, done it, it like... doesn't make sense but I mean I guess we'll learn more in two weeks when the game comes out but it's just kind of like seeing that I'm still really excited for Salmon Run but that definitely was like kind of you know dampened the hype a bit so hopefully Nintendo's not being too crazy here, but I just don't quite get why they did that. And while we're on topic of weird design choices I don't quite get, there's also, of course, the Nintendo Switch Online app. Uh, to be fair, the app itself actually looks to have a very nice design, at least in the most literal sense of a design. Like, it's a really clean UI. Uh, I think it's cool how it'll ultimately house all the games on Switch within it. Like, there's separate little sections of the app for different games. Like, Splatnet will be one section, and some other game has some other section. And Splatnet itself, it looks I'm just nuts. glad it's finally an app and not just like yes, a, a mobile website. Yeah. The downside is if you're on a PC, you now can't access Splatnet. But you win some, you lose some. But yeah, the Splatnet looks insane. The amount of stuff it's tracking and the fact that you could buy in-game items and everything, really cool. But for all the stuff it does right like that, I feel like there's things it keeps doing that are not ideal or just outright like wrong choices. Like, for example, how is it that we're two weeks out, they had a direct where they talked about voice chat, and they still not fully explained voice chat. Like, we know you'll get to talk to everyone in the lobby and then automatically just your teammates once you're assigned to a team, but we don't know if there's a way to hear them and the game audio without a splitter like that hoary one that everyone was made, making fun of. We don't know if in the future, hypothetically, maybe the game audio chat could be piped to your TV, so you use your phone as the two-way channel plus the microphone, and they just have the TV sort of do a dumbed-down, compressed version of the audio, so you don't... You know you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we don't also, know if that's going to be a thing. We don't know anything. I also just wish the game had, like, a... I mean, the app had, like, an inbox. I don't know if it does yet. They haven't said... They have not indicated there's any sort of text messaging whatsoever. They have said you'll be able to invite friends through the app using social media and your messaging apps, but they're not, it sounds like, building their own messenger. 
Which, on one hand, I get, because it's like most of your friends you know either through a text or whatever, or through Twitter or Facebook, but and you can contact every- them that that yeah. way. But not everyone. What do you do for the people you don't? It's a weird. It's another weird choice on the That's part. what that app should have been solving. And yeah, and that and that's the thing is like, this app would be great if it was a secondary thing. But the fact that it's primary, like I don't get it. Well, I will have answers to a lot of this in two weeks' time. But you know, the game comes out. The app comes out with the game on July twenty first. Comic Con weekend. Comic Con weekend. But nonetheless, like the fact that's even a question now just boggles my mind. I mean, since two thousand two, since the launch of Xbox Live, the standard practice has been that all these things are baked into the game. It feels weird now that Nintendo is trying to reinvent the wheel only to add extra confusion and extra complexity on top of something that was so standard before. And because of that extra complexity, you know the stupid thing? Mario Kart 8 and ARMS not supported by the app when it comes out. You won't be able to voice chat in those games even though why not? They're what? completely separate things now. <laughs> it doesn't there's like it just doesn't make sense. It's almost That's like the one game that I feel like I'd be using it Right? A lot for, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Because it doesn't have apparently the same restrictions Splatoon has, but... Yeah, it makes it makes very, very well sense. And... The, <sighs> yeah, the, the disappointing part is, again, this would have been great as a secondary service. Having the ability to push notify your friends, hey, I want to play uh, Splatoon with you in an hour, is cool. Not being push able on my to, other friends yeah. to join Discord or something. Or some, but then you can't do the lobbies, because that's the other thing we don't know. Can you set up lobbies in Splatoon 2 without the app for your friends? Nintendo hasn't said, and we're two weeks from launch. So Discord might not even help you. You might still need the app and Discord. It just doesn't... Nothing makes sense. (laughs) The only reason I can possibly come up with for why Nintendo thought this would make any amount of sense is that maybe there's a secret feature here where the Switch app can work to as a tether for the Switch so you can play online on the go using your phone plan. That's the only possible explanation because then your phone has to be your hub anyway. So what's one more layer? What's two more layers? That makes sense. And the thing is, there's actually a precedent of that happening. In Japan, a couple years ago, like in 2014 maybe, Nintendo released an Android app called uh, – I forgot what it was called. It was like the something something. But the, the, sole, <laughs> the something something. The something something. But the sole purpose of that app was to help you tether your 3DS to your phone for online play. Granted, it only worked with a few devices, it only worked on one carrier, and it only was a giant toggle that turns on your tethering on your phone, but all Nintendoed out. Like, it had one purpose. But if Nintendo looked at that, and then went, what if we did that for Switch, but, like, more so, then this app... Flip the Switch. Maybe... Yeah, they could flip the Switch for their Switch. But then this app maybe, perhaps, actually makes sense on some level. But even then, I don't understand how you have an entire company and you go from first pitch to app development to QA of that app to release of that app. And there's not a single person in the company that says, hey, uh, guys, like this is a little convoluted and a little inconvenient. Like, How is there 3,000 employees at Nintendo and nobody has went, this is the wrong, the wrong approach? Or if they did say it, how come no one's like, you're right? <laughs> like, what, what? Do you want your pro controllers to cost more expensive? This is why, because they didn't want to put the, 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 yeah, the jack the 10 cent microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it just, I don't get it. It's so weird. So if there's a secret tethering app, cool, that at least gives justification. If there's not, I mean, which there theory, isn't, who knows? I mean, is there a way that they could use the USB-C port on the pro controller to connect the headset? Yeah, USB-C... USB-C mics and headphones are a real thing. I mean, the iPhone requires them, or a, or a dongle. So in, so in theory, theory, someone could come out with that, yes. But what happens if you're playing Switch and in theory, not Nintendo with a Pro Controller? could fix this later. In theory, they could. Making all those, like... No, the only... Pretty much 
Switch exclusive headsets because of their. The only thing they can't fix is um, the lack of a mic on the Switch itself, or a headphone, like a two-way mic on the. I mean, they have a headphone jack, but it doesn't work with a mic apparently. So they can't truly fully fix this because there's always a missing mic. You can't force people to buy a pro controller just for a mic, but they can get well, very the close to fixing it. Switch has a USB-C port. It's on the bottom, but as long as yeah, they're not playing the tabletop mode. Con- but if you want a pro controller, what your Nintendo's like tough. Like no, it that's why you can still like if it works with the USB C port on the Pro Controller. There's no reason why it can't work with the USB C port on the Switch itself. If oh, but what if you're playing on TV with a Joy-Con grip? I don't own a Pro Controller. What do I do? Well, tough cookies. But see, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't I know, be. I know. <laughs> I know. But like, I mean, and the thing is, like, in the grand scheme of things, this is more of an inconvenience than a real hassle. Salmon Run's issue is a relatively minor drop in the bucket. You know, they can play at certain times. Like, in the grand scheme of things. The Direct still left me very positive about Splatoon 2. I'm very excited for Splatoon 2. There's a full year of content, free updates planned for Splatoon 2. There's two years of Splatfest planned. Nintendo's doing right for the the most part. The first game was great without Without voice chat. chat. So it's not crucial. It's just this is a red flag of what will will happen with other games down the road where maybe voice chat's more critical. Oh, and it's not even, you know, this doesn't even count for the fact, I didn't even think of this until just now, third-party games. Well, if I want to voice chat with you while blowing you up in Barman, that's probably never going to happen because Konami would have to update Barman to include this, and by the time this rolls out for third parties next year, who's going to... That's so annoying. Yeah, I thought it's going to just, like, work. You would think it's like the one... Nintendo did so much right with the Switch. They nailed so many points, and then somehow they missed this, which is arguably one of the more critical things in 2017. So, I don't know. But I'm excited for Splatoon 2, don't get me wrong. These are small things, but annoying things. Well, I mean, doesn't affect single player, so I guess that's fine. Yeah, but who plays Splatoon 2 specifically for single player only? Well, I would, at this point. Honestly, I would probably too. <laughs> but it's not its selling point. If you want your selling point to mesh well with your services provided, but anyway. But yeah, keeping with the theme of uh, July Switch releases, uh, there's some also interesting. there's also some interesting news about Namco Museum, of all things. Um... You may not expect there to be much to say about a compilation of old games, but Namco did just confirm the inclusion of one particularly cool one, Pac-Man Versus. Now, this is actually more exciting than it seems, because you see, poor Pac-Man Versus um, has kind of a bad rap. Now, a lot of people mock it, make fun of it, don't believe it's a real thing worth playing because of how it was unveiled in 2003. So here comes a history lesson real quick. I don't know if you know the whole backstory of Pac-Man Versus. Do you remember E3 2003? Let's go. Do you remember E3? Let's two- go. All Story right, time. here we go. Here we go. So it's May E3 2003, and all through the house, not a creature was no. But um, during that year, that was the year Nintendo decided to really highlight GameCube, Game Boy Advance connectivity. That is the year that their entire showing was about how you can put a little cable between your Game Boy and your GameCube, and suddenly it's a whole new world of gaming possibilities the likes of which the world have never seen that will completely blow the lid off the PlayStation and Xbox. It's going to be amazing. And to top that off, to, to as the big finale, if I, if I remember correctly, of that press conference, they said, and now here's Shigeru Miyamoto with a brand new project he's been working on, his own pet project. This is his personal project. And this was two years after Pikmin. So it's like the man that just gave you Pikmin is giving you something even better right now. You ready? You ready? It's Pac-Man, but you play as the ghosts too. That was the finale of their press conference in 2003 was multiplayer Pac-Man. Pac-Man's on the Game Boy Advance. The ghosts are on the TV, each with a limited view of the so stage. It's Mario Chase. And yes, it's Mario Chase before Mario Chase was a thing. Now, again, this is a good example of Nintendo's habit of never letting an idea die. You know, Virtual Boy became 3DS. E-Reader became Amiibo. 
Pac-Man Versus became Mario Chase. The Game Boy to GameCube thing became the Wii Game Wii U GamePad. Like it all lives on. This was the the start of it. But you can't really end your press conference with that much of a dud of a reveal. Like I there's no way people are going to be like giving standing ovations or freaking out like they did E3 2004 for Zelda over Pac-Man where three people are the ghosts. That just it just doesn't work. But the but the that, the sad thing is it is actually really fun. Much like Mario Chase, like you know, you can't carry a whole press conference off the back of Mario Chase, but Mario Chase is a really fun mode in Nintendo Land, and Pac-Man Versus is a really fun thing to play. Like, I remember I actually specifically bought, Namco released a platformer that same year called iNinja on GameCube, and if you bought it, you got a free copy of Pac-Man Versus, and I specifically bought iNinja for Pac-Man Versus. It works out that both games are fun, but, yeah, it it, uh, it is a fun game if you give it a chance. Like, me and a few friends used to have a blast sitting there hooking up the Game Boy and everything and playing it. Uh, and now, 15 years later, here it is on Switch. So, if you can get over the negative reputation, you are in for a fun little game. And what they're doing on Switch that's kind of cool is they're actually um, letting it... So, it'll be one person is Pac-Man on one Switch, and you can have one to three other Switches be the ghosts. So, you can either have all three ghosts on one screen, mimicking the TV from back in the day, or you can each have your own Switch. But you only need one copy of Namco Museum. What they're going to do, which is kind of cool is there's going to be a separate free companion app on the eShop and you just tell the other Switch owner or owners, plural, to download that app and they're suddenly the ghost, no problem, or they're Pac-Man, no problem. It just works. It's this new trend I'm noticing that's actually kind of neat because uh, RPG Player or RPG Maker Fest has an RPG Player app on the 3DS eShop. That's the same idea. For free, you can access content within the main game that people are paying for. It, I'd love to see more games do this. It's kind of like uh, Download Play 2.0, but with a little more to it. But yeah, so it's... Splatoon seems like something Splatoon that could fit would be right cool, in. Yeah, that'd, that'd be good for Splatoon, honestly. But, um... Or even ARMS. Like, if you could do some sort of... If you could do some sort of demo of ARMS with, like... Not even a demo, but if you can make a free version of ARMS that has, like, limited fighting or something, that'd be a good way to get people to understand ARMS and play ARMS, as we'll talk about later. But, but yeah, so... If you have any interest in trying Pac-Man versus anyone out there and don't have a GameCube lying around... This is a good way to do it. I wouldn't say Versus alone is worth the $30 MSRP of Namco Museum, by which I mean it absolutely is not alone worth the $30, the $30 MSRP. But if you have a decent, you know, if, you, if there's a decent number of tiles in Namco Museum you're excited for, like if you're a Splatterhouse fan or a Galaga fan or whatever, this is certainly a good convincing factor to push you over the hump to buying Namco Museum. Like pa- Pac-Man Versus is really fun, and it fits well with the Switch's like little multiplayer, local multiplayer purpose, so... It's cool. It's cool to see that's coming back, and it is Miyamoto's pro- pet project. So you know you're playing a Miyamoto original classic experience. I would like them <laughs> to like just re-release a bunch of games with like very classy covers, kind of how like the Criterion cr- Collection, but for games. Sort of, yeah. Basically, like um, Disney just started re-releasing all their movies with well, all their old, very old classic Disney movies with an all-white background, just one main character in a specific pose, and then there's like a Walt Disney signature, and it's like the Walt Disney collection. That'd be great. The Miyamoto collection would be pretty solid. <laughs> yeah. I would play that or buy that. It'd be a great collectible. Nintendo, you love making people buy limited editions. Here you go, easy money right here. Just re-release the same games in like a shiny box, and you're golden or platinum or whatever color you make them. But yeah, so that, that's Pac-Man Versus. I just wanted to point that out because like it's a very underrated game, specifically because of its history. So. Yeah, and, and uh, Versus might actually not be the only um, revival coming to Switch. This is more of a side than anything else, but have you seen Platinum Games' new Twitter as of late? 
You mean the wonderful 101 stuff? And the Bayonetta stuff. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's it's I don't know what it means, but hopefully it means something cool. For those who haven't seen it, uh Bayonetta they first teased with a two-tone image of Bayonetta. Top is red, bottom is blue. They're the same shades of red and blue as the neon Joy-Cons. And when someone pointed that out on Twitter, Platinum Games liked that tweet. Well, then they followed up a week later. That was just more like Bayonetta 1, the theme was red, and the theme of Bayonetta 2 was yeah, blue. Yeah, but they used the exact... They didn't use the colors from those games. They used the Joy-Con colors. They used the colors of the game. No, but they're the exact shade as the controllers. If you say so. I mean, the guy on Twitter did, and they acknowledged it as being correct. I so. mean, they liked it. doesn't mean anything. I guess. I guess like when Jeff Keighley liked that, he'd be interviewing Reggie at uh, E3. Oh, no, he did in the end. I, that was right when I yeah, said I hope he interviews Reggie. still right. not a confirmation, though. Yeah. I think it's just true. people grasping at everything that's true i mean sometimes like being in communist position or anyone in platinum games just by liking anyone's tweet i know i feel you're just like it's like free i don't know superstitious like lead him off the trail of anything or i mean i don't know why he would want to do that but well he likes trolling so that's why oh, yeah, and, and you know what a good example of that trolling is never mind the bayonet thing how about the wonderful 101 image they tweeted that's a good example of trolling it's a picture of Kamiya and others uh, playing in the art style of Wonderful 101. It's an art artwork of them playing the Wonderful 101, but instead of game pads, they're holding Joy-Cons in their grips. Famicom-styled ones. What? Unless that's trolling, that seems to be suggesting we're getting a Wonderful 101 or 102 or 101 Plus or 101.5 or something like that on Switch. Hmm. Which is cool, because like, that game deserves a bigger audience for sure, but... What? <laughs> like, why would you treat that unless you're actually implying something? Definitely. Yeah. So, so that's cool to see. It actually raises an interesting question, though. Like, Wonderful 101 is one of those games that really makes sense on Switch. Not to, I mean, in terms of, like, getting it to a bigger audience. The gameplay-wise, you could argue, well, the fact that you now have one screen instead of two actually hinders it because you need to do the crazy shapes on the gamepad to have it reflect on TV. Or you get to draw on top of your game. I guess you could, but that's weird. Anyway, ignoring that, it makes sense to bring it to Switch because it can get a much bigger audience now. I feel like this is not the only game that could benefit from that. Like, what other games... Are there any other Wii U games that you really like, ah, oh, this... I wish this did better. Like, off the top of my head, I mentioned Donkey Kong earlier. Tropical Freeze seems like it makes sense. Because that didn't even use the gamepad. It's the simplest port possible. But Captain Toad actually would be another good one. I can't think of anything. I was going to say Rhythm Heaven because even though that game didn't sell well, I mean, they still made... one for the 3DS, so... Mega Mix. Yeah, so... No, like, it sells insanely well in Japan. It's a U.S. thing that doesn't sell well. Oh, well, I mean, regardless, I mean... Wait, they don't have a Wii U version of it. It doesn't seem to cost them that much to port it over. That's true. Yeah, they could do that. They could do... I was going to say Captain Toad. Captain Toad make the most sense of probably any Wii U game because it's already bite-sized gameplay. It's made for brief little... Like, each level is brief. It's perfect to play for, like, 10 minutes on bus or something. Captain Toad, honestly, if it wasn't for the HD graphics, would have made much more sense as a 3DS game. Yeah. So yeah, I think that would be really good on Switch. Or Captain Code 2 or whatever. But it's kind of funny because now we're sort of snaking all the way back to the previous conversation of like, what if... You know, what if uh, they did Wii U Virtual Console on Switch? But like, Wonderful 101 suggests maybe there's hope for something more. I don't know, be it enhanced... And we practically have that at this point. We have Mario Kart. We don't have two. We have Mario Kart... Or, well, three. Because you're right, there's Rayman Definitive Edition coming out yeah, as well. Rayman, Mario Kart, and, and uh, Pokken. That's it, though. Like, Zombie U wouldn't really work on Switch unless they really well, restocked the game. Well, they ported it over to Xbox. Oh, that's true. They should just bring it to Switch at that point. Like, there's, there's so many opportunities. that If anything, it'd be better on Switch because you could quickly, like... Yeah, you keep the touchscreen yeah. active. Right, just... Oh, yeah, that'd be easy. Instead of having it so you have to juggle two screens, just have the backpack block three quarters exactly. of the screen. Come on, Ubisoft. Which is what it does in the other games. Well, now, then again, perhaps... 
So Ubisoft is rumored to be having trouble mm. even getting Steep onto Switch. They announced Steep for Switch. They're having development issues according to IGN. So I don't know if I'd hold my breath for um, for Zombie U. It seems like what's working well on Switch are games that are built on that Snowdrop engine we talked about last episode because they built that engine to support Switch and everything else it seems like they're having trouble with. Because, you know, Rayman Legends, in theory, that should have been out at launch. That's a misfire on their part, especially because they primed the pump for Rayman and, or for Mario and Rabbids, but whatever. But then now Steep having an issue and whatnot, it, Zombie is probably not going to happen. Well, as long as they give me some form of Smash Brothers port or no port. We'll get something. It's only a matter of time. And the thing is, be it like enhanced ports or virtual console console releases or whatever, um, it would be silly, honestly, to not just get as many Wii U games onto Switch as possible. Because like, the audience is undoubtedly going to end up bigger on Switch. I mean, it already is outpacing other systems in japan the switch just sold a million units it took 17 weeks to do so for comparison it took wii u 34 weeks to hit that number it took ps3 36 weeks and the real kicker surprisingly it took ps4 49 weeks now for comparison the 3ds only took 13 weeks to hit that same milestone so faster than switch and as we all know just have a lot of shortages so it's not like that's part yeah that's part of it so it's kind of would would switch have matched 3ds who knows and the thing is even at the current rate Switch taking f- four more weeks than 3DS means 3DS went on to sell 66 million worldwide. This is obviously not a direct correlation, but it bodes well for Switch if the only thing that outsold you in speed is now at two thirds of a bill or two thirds of a hundred million. Like that, that's a good sign. So I don't know. It, I think getting more more games onto the system, be it ports or not, you want to capture that audience that's developing. And, and one of Japan's leading uh, sales data firms, a company called MediaCrate, actually anticipated that the software, sale, the software sales for Switch are going to continue to climb pretty rapidly. Right now, it's at 1.72 as an attach rate, which is decent. Everyone knows about, if you average it out, around two games. But there's Splatoon on the way. There's Mario Odyssey on the way. They're predicting there's going to be a significant jump in how many games people are going to want to buy. So you might as well hop in with your games. No, they just really say three games last Thursday that I really want to buy, but yeah, I don't want to get them all at once because then they're just gonna sit there. It's like, it's like Steam, except I'm not buying anything on sale. It's Steam, but full price. Yeah, <laughs> it's Steam with no savings. But and and the thing is that like not only that, but that's happening. The sales are going up, and we're still not even accounting for the fact that Nintendo still has that whole growing the footprint strategy, which means they're going to continue expanding outward into new demographics pretty rapidly over the next year or so, which means even more sales and even more games and even more that we have to buy. And obviously, they cite Mario and, and uh, Splatoon as examples of how they're going to you know, increase the attach rate. Those are both pretty gamery games. I mean, Mario arguably is more casual-friendly, but they're both traditional games for traditional gamers. But if you look back from what Nintendo was saying before the Switch came out in like the pre-launch days. They're talking about how they're going to kind of do it in waves for different audiences. And it's now we're starting to get the first signs that they are ready to move into the new audience phases, so to speak. Um, the first indication came at the shareholder meeting we talked about earlier. Nintendo's software general manager, Shinya Takahashi, who is basically the new Miyamoto. Like Miyamoto became creative fellow and kind of does whatever he wants. This is the guy now, Takahashi's the guy now running all of the software teams. He was asked about casual-oriented games on Switch, and he cited one, two, Switch as an example, and then explained that Nintendo is currently working on titles that will, quote, play differently, and he's hoping they will, quote, be fun. The fact that he has to specify, the games will hopefully be fun, is a little weird, (laughs) but the point, the real point is, he says there's announcements coming soon about this stuff, which makes me think 2018's probably the year Nintendo's going to start doing more casual 
games. I mean, like, Sora Mirrors, it's Sora Mirrors what we saw with DS. Like, the first year of DS was Mario 64 DS, Advance Wars, and then came Dogs and Brain Age. It's not day and date, but we're now getting a Mario platformer like 64 DS. We're getting um, a strategy game instead of Advance Wars, it's Fire Emblem. So, naturally, oh, I even forgot, there's also Canvas Curve, Kirby Canvas Curse the first year of DS, and now we're getting a Kirby on Switch within the first year, roughly. So, maybe a little more. So, it's not day and date, but the strategy of how they're rolling out the games is pretty similar. So, it seems like casual is a fit-in. Um, what maybe differs that's kind of interesting is they may also do more than just core plus casual. They may go in a third direction, which oh. would be nice. realistic, quote-unquote, games. The 1080s and the wave races oh. of the world, where, like, instead of just having... You know, like these traditional Nintendo games and these super outward-looking to new people Nintendo games, they will have this one that maybe appeals to the FIFA fans the and the WWE FIFA fans games. and the NBA fans. What? The simulators? Not necessarily simulators. There aren't simulators. Just more realistic in terms of look and feel I mean, and whatnot. You, you could say FIFA is a soccer simulator. Yeah, no, but Wave Race isn't and 1080 that's isn't. That's a waterboarding simulator. I, I guess. But So the reason <laughs> I'm bringing this up is um, Takahashi was separately interviewed by a French newspaper called Le Monde. And in that newspaper, he noted a couple of things. One, did you know Nintendo actually has 11 different independent software teams that are working on multiple projects each? That's I a lot of that's know. a lot of games. That's a lot of games. So even if Nintendo has a bunch of core and casual games in the works, there's still a lot of room for a lot of other things, which then led to the comments about 1080 and Wave Race. They specifically asked him if games like, with as they put, realistic graphic games will... Um, like, what happened to them? Why aren't they a thing anymore? And he told them they're in the works, and he actually agreed with the newspaper's assessment that right now, if you look at Switch, it's a lot of very cartoony worlds. There's a lot of cartoony games. And he went on to say, we're not consciously only making cartoony games. It's like, if the gameplay makes sense, we will make a 1080, we will make a wave race, we will make whatever it may be. Now, he didn't name-drop the games. The newspaper name-dropped the games. But his response was, we're not saying no. So that's not a confirmation of anything, I don't think. But it shows an openness to the idea that I feel like Nintendo usually doesn't do in interviews. Like when you see interviews with other Nintendo people, <clears throat> Reggie, and people like that, um, you know, it's all they always dance around it. They're like, oh, another Mother Three request. Oh my, or like, <laughs> or you know, like we know they're diehard fans, but we have nothing to announce today. But then here comes Takahashi, who again runs all of Nintendo's game development, and he's like, yeah, we have a gap in our lineup, and you know what? Yeah, we would fill it if there's space for that. You know, if there's a need to fill it, we'll fill it. If we find a way to fill it, we'll fill it. So it doesn't outright say they're coming, but it's the most – it's the closest to a yes we've ever gotten from Nintendo, which to me implies a yes because they usually are so no that they're even suggesting a yes to probably work on something, especially if they have 11 teams. So, I mean, it could be 1080, it could be Wave Race, it could be Pilot Wings. I'd be cool with a reboot of Mock Rider if Nintendo really wants to dig through their old IPs. But whatever they do, it would make sense to do it. Because you do have FIFA, NBA 2K, it's rumored that the new WWE game will be coming to Switch. It keeps getting listed on random retailer websites as for Switch, but it's not announced for Switch. So, like, there are there is an audience to play those games. There's an untapped demographic they can use to hook into, you know, that they can hook into with these games if they were to make them. So we shall see. But I, I have hope that we might actually see Nintendo branch out in, for them, new directions or directions they haven't touched in, like, two console generations. Hopefully. But it also goes, it all goes hand in hand, really, with uh, that whole competitive multiplayer push they're doing right now with Switch. You know, because someone who buys a game like Mario Kart or ARMS uh, to play 
locally as Nintendo's envisioning probably isn't far removed from the type of person who may do a FIFA match or a WWE wrestling match. Would that match, be the game that um, Retro is working on? Yeah, it could be. It could be. Because, like, it, I don't know if I want Retro to make a 1080 snowboarding, but if I'm a guy that has Mario Kart, FIFA, and ARMS, 1080 would be the next game I would buy if I want, like, different types of local multiplayer experiences So for my friends. So it kind of makes sense. In the case of ARMS, actually, in Japan, it's doing super well, relatively speaking, for a fighting game. Like, it... It's showing there is this competitive eye Nintendo can latch onto with these realistic graphic games should they choose to do so. I mean, let me rephrase. The competitive nature of those realistic graphic games. Like, obviously ARMS is not realistic graphics in any way, shape, or form. Believe it or not, everyone, Helix isn't real. But the idea that you have this game that's very focused on local multiplayer, ARMS is proving that there is an audience for that for sure. The, de- the debut of the game, over 100 million units in Japan, that is double what Street Fighter Five debuted at. And that is more than all of Tekken 7's lifetime sales in Japan. And that's in a single week that ARMS did that. Not bad. Is the momentum still going? Uh, I don't know because the numbers aren't out there. But it was a strong enough first week that it was the uh, highest debut of an unlicensed fighting game in Japan in seven years. Meaning not a Naruto game, not a Dragon Ball game. Like an original fighter. The biggest debut of an original fighter in seven years. Wow. And I think that excludes Smash Bros. Because that's considered a license because of all the different IPs. But that's that's pretty good. So I don't know if the momentum's still there. But that's happening in Japan. We'll know about the momentum when we get a better sense of how it does in the U.S. That's why we'll have a whole month of yeah, data. I mean, for a few days, I saw it on the... It was the number one most downloaded before it got toppled down by Minecraft again. Of course it did. <laughs> it got back to the status I've quo. heard through the grapevine that it's having a rather soft launch here in the u.s meaning it's not yeah i think it was game informers former editor-in-chief referenced on twitter perhaps but so i i I, it might not be doing as well but i mean in the uk it's holding its own in its first week it was number two to only horizon on ps4 on the weekly chart and horizon is kind of a beast over there so like it's holding its own like i said we won't actually know how it does for like in a more real sense until um mpd comes out which we'll cover next episode but (laughs) <laughs> but but uh, it's definitely like it's off to a good start. It shows there's an audience that may be receptive to things like FIFA or competitive things like 1080 Wave Race potentially. Oh, FIFA. It is so different. It's almost its own thing. Yeah. It's Arms? so different. Yeah, it's so, it's so different. Well, yeah. It's so well, it's different. So... But at, at its core, it's about head to head multiplayer, yeah. which is what all these games we're talking about are really about. Oh, yeah. so that, that's... I guess it's so different aesthetically that it definitely. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone that gets arms would... I can't see someone getting arms being like, well, I do love punching cartoon characters in arms, but I really hate realistic water skiing with dolphins and wave race. So, not going to do the dolphin one, but I will do the one with the jelly blob man. Like, I don't think that makes or breaks it. I think it's the gameplay behind that. That's just the art style. But that's just me. There are There's probably someone out there that's like, I don't like jet skis and will never buy a wave race. Or I don't like paragliding and won't buy pilot wings pilot wings doesn't quite fit in this as well now that i think about it because pilot wings are more like very logical arguments yeah but oh do they <laughs> i mean yeah yeah i mean i don't like soccer type if you have no reason to ever play a soccer game well yeah but if they're more well fine let me rephrase that i don't like soccer so i feel like i am never driven to buy a soccer game but i have played some before and they can be fun like strikers yeah right mario strikers no? I feel like the Mario Strike, the Mario Sports series, like they're like their own. Thing. Well, they are, but I thought that's what you're getting at. No, I just meant like FIFA or something. Like, I normally find, um, well, I guess until recently, I actually found baseball kind of interesting to watch, until I stopped living with a friend that got me into baseball. So now I have no team to root for, basically. You live in LA. We have two teams. Uh, 
if you're putting up with this 100 degree heat, I know I keep bringing it up, but I'm like drenched in sweat. If you, if you, if you could live in this 100 degree heat, you owe yourself to have a local team at least. You owe it to yourself. I, I just feel no attachment to them. Ah, fair enough. I mean, the only reason I had an attachment to the Giants when I wasn't... Because he was a Giants fan. Yeah, and he yeah. like told me about their history. So I pretty much learned about them. And it also helped that their uniform was um, orange was their primary color. Right. So... And then, because of that, I got into my baseball, which I've said on the podcast multiple times that it's an amazing game. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I won't be, I don't know. Well, I guess, I guess <laughs> my point is, yeah, you're right. Obviously, someone that likes um, Mario Kart is not going to be necessarily the same person that buys WWE 18. The funny thing is that I like Mario Baseball with all the wacky Mario rules turned off, so it's pretty much still like Real baseball. basically normal yeah. baseball. Because that game but with Birdo, follows randomly. all the rules. Yeah, the only thing they do that's still very mario is where you could do chemistry plays and you can like jump on top of each other for a super jump and catch a what would have been a grand slam which is obviously impossible to do in real baseball right right but that's kind of what you need to hook me i guess yeah well i, I guess my point is like a game like wave race a game like 10a which exactly, is exactly like arms i would never get a regular boxing game but give them extended right. arms and all right you got my attention but like take something like wave race like you, that's you got my 60 bucks I feel happy that's pretty much it Wow, that sounded bitter almost. Well, I mean, it's we'll get to that yeah. in literally a second. That's the next thing here on the list. But um, no, I guess my point was like, if you're selling your system as being big for competitive local multiplayer, and arms and cart and all that prove that there's an audience for that. You look like you just came out of I'm, like the rain or something. I know. I'm very. It's very warm. <laughs> anyway, uh, the point is, uh, I, I I need to take a shower. At the point. No, the point is, or well, it looks like I took a shower. The the point is, came out of like Splash Mountain. I know. No, this is worse. We were just on Splash Mountain, and it was nowhere near this bad. I know. I look like I came out of a swimming pool. The point is, we're yeah. to a podcast where we oh, talk yeah. about uh, Nintendo sales and Jason sweat. But no, the the point is. <laughs> I don't think it's that far-fetched to assume if a group of people are into one type of local multiplayer head-to-head competitive to try and pitch them on a different one, yeah. which, yeah, so I think the, the but that, that brings us to ARMS, speaking of local competitive and all that. So ARMS, 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 the game has been out for what, three weeks now? Something like that? Sure. Yeah. And that's given us a lot of time to sink our teeth into what's there or what's not there because it's kind of bare bones. But, um, yeah, I figure... You know, we could talk. A lot of people listening have probably played Arms, but this is sort of like what what went right, what went. Wrong. It's almost like a post mortem. Like what went right, what went wrong, what can they do to improve it? Is what meta game is there, if any? Because you know they're trying to pitch this as a big tournament game, but does it succeed? So, as our fighting game aficionado, I turn it over to you to kind of take the lead here. But it's 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 an experience. So, what it does right it does a lot of things right. It does it looks really really great? Has catchy music, even the menus are just um so stylish. Just very stylish and snappy looking. Um, can, it, I, can I build off that real quick? Sure. I was just gotta say, I really speaking of building, I really love the world building they did with Arms. I love not just how it looks and sounds, but how how tightly integrated all that is. Yeah, like it, it really feels like you're in this little world you know of Arms. Funny? Like it, it felt like they were kind of building it almost the same way they were building Splatoon. Like oh Splatoon, totally. But then they just. Stop. Stop, then that's it. <laughs> well, that's because what else are you going to add? You can't have a plaza like Splatoon. That doesn't make sense. Well, you got to have fake Meverse like Splatoon 2 well, does. Be like, well, hey, well, draw, draw, uh, they, they done draw Biff's with, with an extra hand on his head. I mean, they could have done more with the campaign or with the post credit story. Like, oh, they, I agree with that. Like, they yeah. barely tell you anything even about the characters you're playing as. It's weird because most of the world building's off game. Most of it's on websites, on directs, on yeah, things like that. Like in over, tournaments, it's even. It's like Overwatch in that sense. Like, the game yeah. itself, like, I feel like doesn't tell you too much. Like you have to get it most from comics and from the little short videos Blizzard puts out. But yeah, 
and even like the fighting like the gameplay is also like that awesome nintendo polish like everything is very responsive um motion controls or not i definitely prefer not so motion oh oh motion controls or not is what you say yeah they are responsive i agree i are responsive both ways but i definitely still prefer not i like button because i kept doing this thing where i'd punch when doing motion but then i get really into my punching so i would just start punching too much or too hard like i'd I strain myself for no reason because we really just need to do subtle movements. But I do like full walloping arm gestures, and then two minutes later, I'd be as sway as I am now, except I was actually doing something physical, unlike right now. But <laughs> yeah, it's I prefer buttons. As yeah, well. the only thing about arms is that I guess um, it's a very it's fighting like it's just a very core mechanic of pretty much all fighting games. It's just about your spacing and waiting for an opening. But unlike other fighting games, where on top of that, you pretty much have to memorize combos. Like, oh, there's an opening. All right, I got to let my combo. I have to try not to drop it and finish it off and blah, blah, blah. Get them on the next combo. This one is pretty much you're waiting for an opening. You see the opening. You throw your two punches, and then you just rinse and repeat. Now, or a grab. Yes, and yeah. And that's it. It's simple. There's no combos. That's true. But I I have found when playing online that there are times that I'll really get into a back and forth with someone where, I mean, granted, all we're doing is parrying around each other, then grabbing, then punching. But there is a rhythm you get into, and, like, there is a bit of, like, rapid-fire chess going on where you're trying to outmaneuver, or rapid-fire rock-paper-scissors, I guess is a better way to put it, where you are trying to outmaneuver the person, and that is fun. But I see your point that it, Perhaps no, the cost I'm, is only it is only rock-paper-scissors. It's not something more elaborate. Maybe that's kind of what you're getting yeah, at. Yeah, because, like, most fighting games are... Well, when I say most, I just mean, um, all. I guess, traditional ones. Cause, um, like, all. Because <laughs> um, Pokémon kind of does something similar to ARMS. It's kind of like a step above it as far as complexity. But, yeah, this is like, there's that first level of Rock, Paper, Scissors, and then there's that second level of Rock, Paper, Scissors after you get through the first level of Rock, right. Paper, Scissors. Right, Because when you're doing your combo, like, just to give you an example of Smash Brothers, if, like, Fox starts a combo on you, even though you're hit, depending on how you move the joystick... You might make it harder for Fox to follow up, but he also has to predict what direction you're going, or you can smash it in certain ways. Like, there's like it doesn't just stop with the combo, like with with getting hit. There's like things you can do. This one is just, it's just, I guess bare bones fighting as it gets, and I feel like that kind of works in his favor if you can really get into it because it really is just about the mind game aspect of it. It's just mm-hmm. the mind games of fighting. It's about trying to get into your opponent's head. Dodging around, you don't want to throw too many grabs, or maybe you do want to throw grabs to get the impression to your opponent that that's all you're going to do, so that they throw counters. And then I've done can... that exact strategy. So pretty much like, <laughs> it's pretty much just mind game after mind game. But if you're playing an opponent, that's pretty much patience is rewarded more than being aggressive. So if you're playing a smart player, they're not going to want to attack right away because usually attacking always leaves you open regardless. So you're both just waiting for each other to attack. And waiting. You know, I'm surprised how little I actually had to deal with that. Granted, I play more party matches than ranked matches, where I suspect it's more common in ranked matches that, like, you're just sitting yeah, I, and waiting. I played a fel- I've, I've but played, in party, um, I've rarely encountered that. Like, maybe I've done, once. Like, I've done both a lot, the party matches and ranked. And in party matches, def- people definitely just play. Yeah, and which honestly, is really fun. I really like party. Honestly, I like party more than ranked. Yeah, and honestly, when I'm not paired up in a 3v3 or a 2v2, yeah. which, I've grown, you mean, oh, yeah. which I've grown to dislike more and more as time goes on, or 4v4. I have a bone um, to pick with the I do like 2v2. party match more just because the game just feels more fun. Like the the mechanics of the game, I guess I enjoy more when I'm not trying to be competitive. When I play the game competitively, I find the game pretty boring and just not as interesting. Because when I get when I got I think like last I played I was like at rank eight, which is not even 
that high. Like I've seen people yeah. like get to like rank fifteen and higher. But I was want but between the matches I got on the higher ranks and then just watching some other people play, like it is about that patience and who breaks first. Because mm-hmm. some people are just like, oh, I have to attack. So they they, th- they throw out that first punch, and there you yeah, go. It's game over for them, man. Yeah. yeah, and then you just try to you just have to get them in that groove, or you just have to. Yeah, it's just about baiting out because then if you wait too long, I mean, you're not even necessarily blocking the whole time because sometimes you might block to bait out or grab, but that's all it is. You're just getting like one hit at a time. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, what kind? It's ki- very slow. What kind of. It, especially it, in rank because there are no items, which I'm perfectly fine with. Normally that's great, mm-hmm. but because there are no items or nothing else to kind of push you along to kind of force you to attack. Like, the only reason you have to attack is if you were already attacked and you're below and you have less health than them and time is running out because you only get a minute and 30 seconds. So, towards the end, you have to kind of go desperate, and which puts you open a lot more. Right. Which means that you're just going to get your butt kicked even faster. Right. So, yeah, it's pretty much about who gets in the other person's head in the first, like, 40 seconds of the game or 30 seconds of the match. Like, whoever can get in there just wins. I, I find it interesting a few minutes ago you made that comparison to sort of to Mario Kart where you're like oh it's like when you when there's items like Mario Kart what I think is really interesting is the parallels between ARMS and Mario Kart and how they keep saying it's a competitive game like in Japan in Japan they are doing an ARMS Grand Prix tournament what they're doing for that is they're literally going to have five qualifying matches in five stages and then fly everyone to a big championship and they're treating it like an eSport. Nintendo's hosting it themselves, which goes against Reggie saying they only want to do grassroots eSports. This is full-on, real eSports of ARMS. They even got Mr. Ibuki, the game's promo- uh, producer, you know, publicly saying things like he wants this to be the first motion-controlled eSport and all that stuff, right? So all that's going on. But if you look at ARMS as a game, the parallels to Mario Kart and when it's at its best is when it is closer in parallel to Mario Kart. Like, there are so many parallels, and then it matches up so well, and I find it the most enjoyable when I treat it almost like Mario Kart. Yeah, and the funny thing of, is that I actually like yeah. it more with... I mean, because the items, they're not, like... They're not completely random. It's not like you get a box and you... Like, oh, I got a crappy one. Yeah. Like, they pretty much tell you ahead of time. Like, first you hear a beeping, and then you'll see a color. Like, if it's a red beeping, it's going to be an explosive. If it's blue, it's going to be an electric bomb. If right. it's green, it's health. If it's yellow, and you can it's, punch it at your opponent. Yeah. So... Like, I guess being aware of that and where it is, I feel like it adds, like, another layer that I actually found really fun. And then when it's that health bottle, it's like, all right, they're going to try to go for that health. So I have to try to, like, combo them right away with, like, the one-two points so they don't get health or try to grab Mm -hmm. them. But then they're trying to do that, too. So it just kind of makes that area pretty tense, and then it's gone, and then you're like, all right, back to defensive play. But I don't even necessarily mean just that being, like, Like, my card. It just shakes up the... yeah, it, it yeah. gives variety. Yeah. But I don't even mean like that being Mario Kart. I mean literally the structure of the game and how the game, how you progress through it and the feedback loop, it's all Mario Kart through and through. Like, here's how the game, here's how you move forward in ARMS. You get coins from doing various activities. You use those coins to get ARMS. Then you get more coins for more ARMS. Oh, you meant the whole. This is, yeah, the whole game. Not yeah. just, no, your trip, the item thing's part of it too. I'm, it's all no, tied no, yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the entire, the, pro- the, the thing is, for Mario Kart, that's fine because in Mario Kart, you collect coins, you get new kart parts, you rinse and repeat. And that makes sense because Mario Kart is up to chance. So you get items by chance to further your chances. It's all a chance-based system. What ARMS is doing that's different is they're trying to make a competitive, like a serious competitive esport, but then they're using the elements of chance to determine how you get better at said esport, which in turn 
makes it less competitive because, like, when you do the arm punching thing, when you get more arms, you can get the same arms multiple times. Well, just one more time. What? Just one more time. Oh, only one more time? I I only got them two, so I assumed it meant... That's it. Once you get two, you don't get that item anymore. Oh, okay. Well, either way... For that character. Either way, if you... Oh, for that character. See, okay. So each character can get a double twice because then you get a plus sign, which powers up those arms. Right. But... That's which not a still, competitive skill-based game which mechanic. That's a Mario Kart like, mechanic. That should not be in there at all because yeah. that just presents so many problems for... Like, if Reggie or if Nintendo of America is trying to focus on grassroots tournaments, that pretty much like kills them like, almost yeah, right away. Yeah, you, because you don't have a way to compete unless you get you're luck on your side. Yeah, you're, it's your complaint about Mario Kart You're literally telling everyone to, like, all right, um, someone please bring a console that has all arms are unlocked for every single character because like if you just have them locked for your character on your game and you mm-hmm. bring your console then like the other opponent might like they have they might have a combination that doesn't start off that is not from the starting set yep I mean I can guarantee that whoever mains Helix is definitely not going to use, use those, starting I, those set. no yeah not all but it's pretty much like yeah, kills like turn local tournaments like before they even begin yeah and and on top of that everyone's gonna have to bring it's gonna have to all be switched like multiple switches like just like playing local wireless i guess and uh, and yeah and on top of that you kind of kill like it feels very bare bones when the only i guess i could have docks on two separate tvs and put them both that's true but 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 regardless of like how the tournament would work just having this as the feedback loop of the game but then saying the game is competitive at the same time makes it feel more bare bones like mario kart's the same thing like we were talking about party modes like mario kart if they just presented arms like Mario, like party mode, is like this is it. You're like, oh, that's a really cool, like that's a cool thing know, how it works. It all makes sense, but it's like two separate ideas are blended together. You know, weird. I hate those systems so much. If it wasn't for that system, more people probably would have been willing to like give um, custom moves and Smash Bros the chance, but yeah, mm-hmm. to unlock it's them randomly luck. too. Nintendo likes luck. I don't know why, but but the thing like because what I was starting to say is like the thing. Is, so they're combining these two systems. So what you have is you go in expecting a fighting game, right? And I remember your early complaints we got. It's like, wow, this is really bare bones. There's like nothing here. That's because 80% of the game, the feedback loop of how you get items, the actual like fun part is all the like more Mario Kart-esque party mode. But if they only cater to the hardcore mode how, or the, like the tournament people, how they'd have to rethink everything else about the game. Like they tried to shoehorn in two things. So for me, it doesn't matter too much because I'm, you know, I'm only playing it casually. So at most, I might be like, oh, I'm tired of unlocking arms. I'm just going to stop playing for a little basically while. basically what I'm going to do now. Like, yeah. I'd rather just play with... But you can't like train up in it because there's no... List or, what, or whatever. Right, and you can't really train up in it because there's no real motive to do so because there's nothing happening except your random chance of getting other arms. That That's kind of the weird like disconnect in my head about it. Now, I do think, ironically, on the flip side of all this, uh, having people have to essentially go and get every arm by luck boost the replay value of the game if you're really trying to get every arm but i think people get frustrated and give up beforehand before they get to that point so i don't know i think for for me arms is exactly what i want because i don't play anything competitively for you or for a fighting game fan i could see it being an actual issue i will say though even if someone doesn't play competitively one thing i don't really like is the lack of stat tracking i never in a million years thought i would care about stat tracking but as someone who does party mode, oh well, as yeah. someone who did party mode, as I've been saying I do, it would be nice to know how many times I win or lose in party mode. Or like when I go through Grand Prix single player, which by the way, I really love that Grand Prix is basically party mode against a computer. Like it throws in hoops, it throws in V-ball, does all that. That's cool. But like I've gotten multiple perfects on the easier levels or, you know, the easier difficulties. I've 
you know, I'd like to know how many perfects I've actually gotten. I'd like to know how many times I've three-pointed an opponent versus two-pointed in hoops. None of that's available. It's like it's like the Snapchat of video games. It happens and it's gone, and you have no record of it ever happening. Like it's weird. I know that's was kind of frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I thought like, all right, cool. They got it down so well with Mario Kart. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know why it wouldn't be super easy with any game going forward. Like, Splatoon and ARMS almost seem, like, perfect for that kind of thing. Yeah. Especially ARMS, because I want to see, like, those moments when I get hit. Like, okay, what was it that I did wrong? I want to learn from it. But you can only see it against computers, which don't play like people because they have perfect response time if you're playing in harder difficulties. Yeah. Like, it they just... don't fall for mind games. You have you have to... Oh, that's right. One of the biggest points I wanted to make is, uh, well, hmm. wait, are, are we at that part? Can, can I, just... I don't know what that part is. I was going to talk about the anime CPU, Expo. C- CPU difficulty. Oh, no, this seems like the part, and then we'll talk about anime Expo. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, so to sort of bridge it. Yeah, so the CPU difficulty is one thing, but then, which, you know, that cares people to understand how a game works, but a whole other point that we'll bring up in a minute is we, as Nintendo fans, know how a game works. You would be shocked how many people can't even figure out how the game works. Like, it's not even as intuitive as it looks. But anyway, you're going to make a point about CPU, and I'll, I'll bring up the point. Yeah, so um, I do enjoy playing ARMS. Like, I definitely, ever since I kind of had to, like, Mario Kart it again, where I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to not play competitively. I mean, it just wasn't, nothing wrong with the game yeah. for competitive play. Like, I could definitely see it being really competitive, and I re- do hope people play, because I do enjoy watching high-level play of it. But I guess for me, it just wasn't my cup of tea. There's just no... Part of it, part of that is also there's just no the character designs are great, but there's just no Bowser for me. There's no character that I particularly like. Yes, I want to play as this character, and I feel I, like that it was Helix, except he's not good. But uh-huh. yeah, but that's but that's like most fighting games. You just need to have a character you just really want to play as. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like the like the mechanics are nothing. Like Bowser could have the worst playstyle, and he did in Melee and Brawl. But I still played as him. That made me kept going back. The point is, um, I played a lot of single player. And the difficulty was it's pretty good, like level one through four through five and six it got really hard. But then I started doing seven and eight and as you would expect the computer is so tough, which is great. <laughs> I love a challenge, but because of the kind of game it is where the game revolves around mind games, this is where the difficulty goes from being challenging to just feeling cheap and really annoying. Mm-hmm. Because they know exactly what you're gonna do. They have perfect reaction. Like the moment you throw a punch, they already have the counter punch and they just get you. It's you try to play pretty much the way the game teaches you how to play, and you just get destroyed. Like no matter what you do, and I'm talking about like the natural difficulties, it just gets crazy. And even in seven, but then I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna try to abuse some tactics. So I just threw out my punches out evenly, just one right after the other. And most of the time, the computers didn't know what to do. They just kept getting hit by them. And then just like that, I beat the final boss like that. I beat a bunch of computers like that. And I was just like, "What?" Like, uh, I don't know. That was almost more yeah, annoying than that's, that's that was almost more annoying than me getting my ass kicked by them because I didn't want to have to exploit the CPU to beat right. to have to beat the game because apparently the way the game teaches you how to play isn't good enough to beat their high level computers because they're just too good. Right. But yeah. Yeah. No. That that is a bummer. The the it again. It's one of those things that like this makes perfect sense as a casual party game you don't need to figure out how to exploit the computer you just punch around but once you try and be strategic and do it competitively you run into issues yeah right. i mean some i mean there's some computers that sometimes just cooperate and like it seems like they you let you play how you need to play yeah it's like, yeah. like oh cool like i'm getting a good match out of this it feels like i'm weaving i'm bobbing and 
like I actually feel like I earned these hits. But yeah. most of the time, I feel like I would just get cheap wins, and it's like wow. Like and and the thing is, and I can't stress this enough. Arms is really fun, and Arms works really well in party mode. I love Arms in party mode. It is the best in party mode. It's just once you try and figure out what Nintendo's doing with it as a competitive game, it's you find all these holes in it. It's like Swiss you know cheese. What? <laughs> what I really wish it had, just like any other fighting game, like just have ranked and unranked matches. I feel like I would just have more fun. In well, they unranked. have that locally now. The uh, 1.1 update brought I know, arena mode. That should have been yeah. online. Like that's perfect. Like so many great, great fighting games. Like Street Fighter has the or like a well, an arena mode. It's just pretty much just a lobby where people take turns mm-hmm. and winner stays fighting. Like that should have been in there. That was perfect. That should be in Smash Bros. That is in Mortal Kombat. That's in everything, but except this one for some reason, online. Right. Which is really frustrating. But now there there is one other thing we should probably address. I already alluded to it slightly. Um. So for us and for anyone that's a hardcore Switch fan, you know how Arms works. Good luck trying to get people that don't know how ARMS works to play ARMS and like ARMS with no instruction. So we we were at Anime Expo. Um, like, once you get it, you get it with ARMS. But if you – and if you can get it, you can get good at it, relatively speaking, especially in party mode because you have a little you know, extra stuff. But if you just hand a pair of Joy-Cons to someone, they will get confused because, like I was starting to say, we were at Anime Expo we're in, last weekend. Nintendo had a surprise unannounced booth at the show, which was really cool. Oddly, did not have a single Nintendo rep at it, which was really weird. Uh, but there were a bunch of people playing ARMS with no guidance, so they were all holding the Joy-Cons flat in their hands, not in a fist. They were all flailing about, not strategically punching. And then they walked away saying, motion controls suck on this game. What's the pl- I don't get it. Like, some people got it, but some people didn't. And it was just Most like, people didn't. Yeah, it was, like, it was not a good look for the game. Like, if they, like, Mario Kart was right next to him. People were having a ball. Arms is like really hit or miss, no pun intended. But it, oh, but it was getting a ton of attention. It was like getting everyone, a ton of like attention. Everyone that walked by just looked at arms. They're like, "Oh, I want to play this." They're like, "Oh, this is the game that I'm gonna let decide whether I get a switch or not." And Which I heard at least the, twice. Yeah, and then half the time people are like, "I don't get it." Yeah. It's just like like there's a hurdle here, which is unfortunate. And like I, I mean, literally at one point, you and I started explaining the game to people. We Nintendo owes us money. Like we started explaining. You primarily were the one that was explaining to people because it was like it's just kind of sad to watch. Like. And once people got it, it clicked, and they were, it was you know the demo units were all in party mode, and everyone was having a blast with all the random elements. They and couldn't stuff. figure out how to start a match. We had to wait. There were some yes. times where people just didn't know you had to click both shoulder buttons, even though it says right there. They're just not sure like what the hell is SR and LR. Yes. And we also saw someone painfully put a a wrist strap the wrong way. Yeah. So all these things make make me realize that the Switch maybe isn't as intuitive as a Wii, even though Nintendo likes to yeah, think I mean, it is. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give the people that. I mean, these are literally like. The people that like don't really play vegan and don't like mess with the switch a lot, and if it was confusing to them and just not, if it didn't make sense right away, then yeah. I mean there might be some issues there. Possibly. I mean, I, I remember we were literally talking about that fact that before the game came out and before even the switch came out, we knew so much about it, and then we saw so many videos where and Nintendo it felt so intuitive. Yeah, yeah. Where, where Nintendo demonstrated exactly how you take the controls out, how you put the things in. Yeah. Like at nauseum, like we heard it so many times. That by the time we got the console, it felt like. It was like more of a formality. Like, oh, I already know everything about the Switch. And yeah. It was like, whatever. But a lot of people Nintendo have no clue almost, and break it. I guess that goes for almost all their games lately. Like, Nintendo tells you so much about how You mean like the 26 the... minutes Splatoon 2 Direct? Well, that and like, <laughs> I think Mario Kart 8 is still like the one I hated the most where like, oh, they yeah. pretty much just told you every single little detail yeah. of the game. Like, there was no discovery. It just took... They even showed you how the fourth uh, uh, boost works. Yeah. They, had, they literally put out a video where it's like, here's each boost exact time. It's like, no, let people find that. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. But so you can release a video like that, but just release it like a week after the game comes yeah. out. Yeah, well, that one I think they actually did a couple days after. But nonetheless, it's so close to launch. It's like, give people a chance. 
but yeah, the, the the reason I brought up the anime expo thing is like this again. I feel like sort of mm, the good, shows the good how kind of try. Well, I, it's almost like this almost felt the whole thing almost felt like more. They almost evidence. didn't put arms there. Honestly, they were gonna not have a rep. Yeah, the, the whole thing honestly to me felt like it was more uh, evidence that arms make sense as a party game more than a competitive game. Which again, nothing wrong with that. It's not a negative. It's just an observation. Before anyone says we don't like it, because I love while I'm playing in arms. It's just not what they're pitching it as. That's all. But um, because you know people like didn't get it but then once they got it they still they enjoyed it as like a casual thing like they weren't like saying like oh maybe i have to do an uppercut do this like oh you hold it sideways and you kind of punch oh i hit this ball and it blew the guy up oh that's fun and then you know those people that got it and walked away like that was very fun i like like i like the different stuff but no one walked from what we witnessed we were there a couple hours no one walked away going like oh man this is my new street fighter like there's no like competitive vibe going on whatsoever partially because of the confusion but i think partially because i don't know if it has it in it I don't know. But but what would be nice, even from the party game angle, is I would like to see more content. Because really, there's only a handful of stages, only a handful of characters. Um, and they kind of need to beef that up. They're starting. To their credit, they are starting. They announced this past Friday. We're getting the first free ARMS DLC on July 12th, which is this coming week. It includes the Grand Prix boss, Max Brass, as a playable character. It includes his stage, Sky Arena, as a playable stage. It includes his ARMS as playable ARMS. Um... To be honest, which means that you have to unlock them all for every single character. Exactly, fun times. But to be honest, this is the easiest DLC Nintendo could do because all the codes already in the game. They're just making it not computer controlled. But nonetheless, step in the right direction to get more stuff on there because you could even say, even with just party mode, the game's a little bare bones. Like even if you're like, I don't care about do you competitive think flesh stuff. Out their modes. Yes, it's pretty bare bones. So this is a step in the right direction. Um, I kind of. I mean, the commitments... As much as I like the game, I definitely regret getting it launch day. This definitely, this... to me, feels more like a Black Friday... Like a $30 game than a... See, I only paid $42 for it. So. Like, like, I mean, I'm not even, like, knocking at $60 price. It's just more, um... The amount of depth? Yeah, I guess it would... Yeah, Which I, I almost yeah, feel, fine, to yeah. bring this full circle, I yeah, almost... I, I guess I am, so yeah, 30 to $40. Yeah, I, I almost for think... what it is right now. I almost think the amount of depth goes back to the fact that Nintendo's trying to shoehorn a competitive game on a party game. Because they kept doing all these things that would make sense competitively. Like the rank, you know, like half the modes, and then no one does them because yeah. why would you do the CPU issue you're describing? Only comp- you would need to do that the, if you wanted to train to be competitive, but the CPU is too smart. The rank why mode, do that? Even though, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like they're, yeah. they're talking about their, their competitive scene, but even like the rank mode just feels. It feels like it was just thrown in there like an afterthought because you just... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because yeah, in the main menu, you just go to... I forgot what it's called. I think it's just called Ranked. And then you just click on it and you just click Search and then that's it. Yeah. There's no... Like you said before, there's no stat tracking. There's nothing. It's just... No replays? You, saved replays? You, you have instant a, or nothing? You just see a flame constantly going and you just get... Put it in a match almost right away, which I will give them a ton of credit for. Their matchmaking is like amazing. It's super fast. You get matches almost right away. The lobby's really cool in general. Like party and well, regular doesn't well, there, have it, well. There's no lobby, that's true. But I do but, like the, the the closing screen and then like the little drum or whatever. But yeah, but there's like no menu to it. You can't set it like to I want to play people only in my region versus worldwide to maybe increase your connection. Like like little toggles that every competitive game typically has. Yeah, to make it worth it. But you know. Sometimes like you can even like to even even on the playing field you could set like oh play only against people that are using wired controllers versus motion controls mm-hmm. which is a thing in a lot of games like in Street Fighter on the 3DS specifically or even on um, the new on the Switch you could change it to whether 
you want to pay people that are using the touchscreen shortcuts or not because that does make a big difference. You can't do anything like that with ARMS. Nope. Again, it felt like it was a party game first that they then put other things on and then went, oh, wait. I mean, because they're still, they're still trying to support the competitive scene. I mean, the Switch firmware update that came out the other week, 3.0. Everyone's talking about, oh, the friends list. You can now import 3DS and Wii U friends. That's great and all. But one thing that you point out that I didn't even know is there is they have the ability to tether your pro controller to the system, which is clearly a move for competitive play, right? Yeah. Because no that removes any lag. Yeah, there's issues. literally no other reason to do it. I mean, like, people have constantly tested out the whole lag issues, and it's definitely more psychological, but well, people yeah. will still swear to the cable or that it makes a difference. But more importantly, more importantly than that, um, wireless controllers are just a big issue in tournament play. And, well, and interference, because the, there's so many. Well, not just that with the Smash scene, because people don't always disconnect their controller properly. Ah. And when they're walking around, they accidentally activate it, and all of a sudden they can't exit out a menu or start <laughs> yeah. a match because someone keeps accidentally pressing yeah, A. Yeah. So by leaving your controller in that tethered mode, it will only work when you have it connected, which pretty much makes it perfect. Right. Because for some reason, Nintendo never put that off switch on their wireless controllers. So uh, Interesting observation. I never noticed that, but you're right. Yeah. The WaveBird was the only one that had it. Yeah, the, cl- the yeah. only thing you had to do is just take off the batteries, which was fine with the Wiimote, but with the Controller Pro, you had to unscrew it, and you're not going to be doing that in a Smash yeah. tournament every other match. But see, it's things like that, the fact that they're thinking of that and adding it as a firmware update, things like the DLC being a promised recurring event that makes me think maybe, just maybe... They will course correct this thing, and if you're looking for a competitive arms experience, it will get there. But right now, definitely a party game, or definitely more of a casual experience, which is right up my alley. And again, I cannot stress this enough: I do love the game. I just think it is not exactly what Nintendo just make intended. money as Min Min, unlock, play the yeah. the item, the arms getter as Helix, and just get your arm combination. Yeah, but Helix still can't do that cool little like jump kick move, the deflector of punches. Well, I mean, only Min. I want. I ju- I just want Min Min to look like Helix. That's all, which is impossible, but that's okay. But, you know, it's, it's worth knowing that, like, the, the thing with ARMS I and mean, how they're rolling out content, the thing with Splatoon and how they're rolling out content, these sort of, like, post-release free updates, they're actually kind of really common across the Switch. It's kind of nice to see that developers care about their games after they're out. Like, ARMS is going to be the real litmus test of this, probably more than Splatoon, because we know Splatoon will be fine. But how ARMS shapes up will be a litmus test. But even beyond first party, like, Nintendo has proven with Splatoon that if you work, you know, if you if you work on your game post-release and give good content, you're getting free marketing out of it, you're encouraging the community, and the game will continue to do well and thrive. It's a thing from smartphones that's been around forever. Smartphone games have lasted for years, but Nintendo kind of proved it can work on a dedicated platform, and now we're seeing it with, like, ARMS, hopefully, and Barman R. Super Barman R just came out with the big one, uh, 1.4 update, they're calling it, which adds four new maps, four new char- or three new characters, Simon Belmont, Pyramid Head, Vic Viper, it adds, if I remember correctly, um, new accessories to customize your bombers, a new team battle mode, like a whole new mode. Like all this stuff for free. Yeah, and I think it also made us so know you could earn coins yes. just by playing multiplayer, which is... Opposed to how to go through the single Yeah, which is campaign. a really big deal because we want to play more multiplayer and we want to keep getting more stages. And since, we're playing, and since multiplayer is the most played mode, yeah. it makes sense to get rewarded for playing that. Exactly. I and, mean, if I'm playing all, single player, reward me with single player stuff, not multiplayer. But right, yeah, right. And it all it all shows that like we were sitting here nitpicking a lot of the like I wouldn't quite call it the meta game of Arms, but like the deeper design decisions. Even though Arms itself on surface is a fun game, um, but if Bomberman can go from being a meh at launch by most reviews to whoa, look at this now. Imagine what Arms can do, right? Yeah, and yeah. it's all free. That's what's cool. And it's not just like I mean, it's happening with other games too. NT creates just. Uh, Blaster Master Zero, just, I think this last week, they put out free DLC 
of Shantae and Shovel Knight as playable characters. Well, free till August. That would be two bucks a pop. But that got attention. Or like, you know, Ro- Rocket League's a real good example of this where they continue to pump out new stuff. They're, having, they're adding Rick and Morty stuff to Rocket League. So like, the point is, if these games are able to sustain themselves over long periods of time and be of time and become competitive like rocket league maybe is the best example i don't think it started as a competitive game i think it started as kind of like a fun battle game and then it evolved into being competitive and it got modes that get it competitive that gives me hope that for everything we nitpicked about arms the core mechanic if you're into the whole kind of getting in your opponent's head thing more than you're into you know combos if you're into that that core mechanic can be fleshed out into something truly competitive Nintendo just needs to think about how they want to do it and do it correctly and maybe separate things like the arm getter from that process if they do that you can have both a party game and a competitive game and the same thing that works very really well all the smash bros it's just a question of can they at least that's my take looking at yeah. you know three weeks in and a quick side note for your information if you're on the fence about blaster master and you like Shantae, just download the dlc oh yeah free. the dlc's free you yeah. don't need you don't need the game you can just download it and then it'll stay saved it'll say purchased on Shantae, but it won't say purchased on blaster master obviously yep because i it's a game I definitely want to get, but not quite yet. I just want to beat through a bunch of other games first, but I like that I already have it saved. Mm-hmm. I don't, it's two ninety nine, but whatever. One ninety nine. One ninety nine. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't see Shovel Knight there. He wasn't available as an option. So I, they I might know. be rolling about separately. Yeah. He's coming though. So that's what I yeah. yeah. But but yeah. So that was Blaster Master, and that was Arms. Unless there's anything else, I think we kind of covered all the bases. Again, I really, I know I keep saying, it, but I really want to stress it. I'm really enjoying Arms. This is more out of love that I have all these nitpicks and anything else. Not that it's a bad game. It just has some design decisions that could be improved in updates. Probably the cleanest way to say it. Great At least from my, from my perspective as a more casual player. I really wish Nintendo would just release the soundtrack to all their games on iTunes, like they are doing with. You no, know I love about Arms soundtrack. Every character has the same song remixed in their style. Like it's really at the end of the day, all the music's the same song. It's just so oh, yeah. tweaked and twisted some, and chopped. Some are still different. It's really that, cool. Yeah, that you can't even. It's almost. Like, but it's still there. The elements are still there. Oh, yeah, it's I, really I, cool. No, yeah, I really love that about that. Yeah. I love that. Um, that's pretty much what um Smash Bros does with all their themes. Like in the new one, you get that big orchestra one for the title mm-hmm. screen but then you have that rock heavy one and mm-hmm. you have the more acoustic one for the low for the loading for the the loading screen not the loading screen the that place where you're waiting for your opponent to play online oh the sandbag punching room yeah that i don't know what it's actually called yeah but yeah and then like the production values of arms are nuts like it's oh, yeah. so well done so yep. so that's arms that that was us pulling no punches like the episode title says hey but yeah. uh yeah, well, Arms and Splatoon are probably the two games currently receiving the lion's share of Nintendo fan attention. I mean, everyone in the Nintendo world was talking about Arms when it came out, and now it seems to have switched over to Splatoon 2. But I feel like there's another noteworthy title coming out this month that I really need some love, and that's Metopia of all things. Metopia on the 3DS. It's a demo that's been up on the eShop since E3. I played it. I know you, you have zero interest, right? I wouldn't say zero. But you, not very little. Um. Yeah, it's low priority. So, so that was kind of me. I went in with basically no expectations. I was like, "It is what it is. We'll see what it's like." Like Tomodachi Life was fun. It's kind of a passive experience. We'll see what this is like. I figured, you know, it'd be kind of cutesy, and that'd be that, really. But like you're cutesy, and and sure enough, to be clear, it is cutesy. Like you boot it up, and the first thing you see on the tile screen is no, is it's the Metopia logo, but the two little eye dots on on the eyes are little singing mouths, and the whole logo dances to the theme song and sings along. Not kidding. It's the most cutesy thing you could see. But so at that point, you know, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I think it'll be. But then I started playing it, 
and I was kind of amazed at how good the whole experience is. Like, it's... The demo completely sold me on this game. I went from having no intention of buying it to now for sure getting it day one. Which is perhaps slight hyperbole, but that is literally how I felt after I played the demo. Like, it is this um, weird hybrid... Yeah, it's this weird hybrid, like... Try it. It's it's worth a shot. I don't know if you'd like... But you don't really like traditional RPGs, so... Because it's a weird hybrid. It's, like, partially... What do you mean traditional RPGs? You don't like traditional RPGs. I do. Do you? Name one you played. Don't say Pokemon. It's not a traditional one. It's sort of a weird spin on them. Actually, it is kind of traditional. Yeah. Do you ever play Final Fantasy? Dragon Quest? Secret of Mana? All right. Anyway. So, it's basically... Yeah, Super Mario <laughs> RPG is probably the only one I yeah. played. But, and, I mean, you may like it. Because you did have Tamodachi Life, right? But the thing is, I don't know if I don't like those. I just never really had a chance to Oh, well, to then play try them. the demo. Because, to be clear, this is not... It is and it like, isn't Yeah, because is way different. It's an action yeah. RPG. Yeah, because this, this is like... Tamodachi Life and a traditional RPG had sort of a weird hybrid love child, and it actually kind of works, which is what's impressive. So, on the broadest level, I would say this is more reminiscent of Tamodachi Life than anything else. Like, it's all about strange circumstances that your me's create and are then plopped into. So, in fact, actually, it's so much like Tamodachi Life, you can even import your me's off your Tamodachi Life save file into Metopia, which I didn't expect. And then townsfolk and enemies and all that are all me's that are pulled out of spot pass that are downloaded automatically in the background. So you can imagine, at least to some weird circumstances, um, my whole premise of my game, this is real, I did not choose this, this is what spot pass just handed to me, is that um, Dark Lord Steve Urkel has stolen the faces of all the me's, and my first mission was to get back baby Stan Lee's face. Stan Lee is in Marvel comic you icon Stanley. I didn't know that's my point they all came off spot pass oh. so it's not even your me's that almost adds to the weird randomness of it all it's like other me's so yeah so that gives you an idea and plus you can then dress up your me's in like all sorts of different outfits based on their job class or you can buy them outfits you can even scan in amiibo outfits to have different weird Nintendo costumes at one point I had a Rick of Rick and Morty wearing a Kirby on his head so you know it's all set up to allow for this kind of maximum absurdity to unfold and nintendo knows it and they want it that way and that's why you always have in the bottom right corner of the touch screen there is always present a screenshot button and they, they you know they want you to really capture all the weird moments and share them so much so that after a battle you can not only replay the battle right then and there for some weird moments you can also at any time go into a menu and view your past battle replays and go get key moments to screenshot to share or you can get key moments from any cutscene you've seen with the me's that you put in them and share that like this whole thing it's like a meme making machine like literally there's even a thing that lets you combine four screenshots into one and then post that screenshot through 3ds image share to social media this game is made like nintendo's going in like yes we want you to make memes please make memes here are your tools but from the gameplay side it um it both plays into this and offers real gameplay so first it plays into the idea of like absurd moments by having um by having you sort of it sort of runs itself almost rock a better way of putting it so like the game tasks you like i was saying you're saving a bunch of me's faces so you get a map you go area to area you pick where you go on this map kind of mario 3 style and when you're in each area your party members are auto walking you don't actually go through a dungeon they just walk left to right and then they'll stop from time to time if you hit a random battle or if you hit a fork in the road and then you interact with those but otherwise all you're doing is watching these cutscenes that play out so every so often they're walking they'll stop It'll be a cutscene where maybe they find an item, or they have a conversation amongst themselves, or they just share a weird moment, and then they start walking again. And as they're walking, there's also little speech bubbles that have weird moments of, and sentences and dialogue and banter, and of course you can screenshot those. And then if you couple that with the fact that there's also a 
auto battle feature where you literally check a box and the game plays itself you can see how it is very much like Tonodachi Life in this idea that you know if you want Miitobo can be this very passive like watching experience where it's almost like watching a weird little sitcom with your Miis more than a game however unlike Tonodachi Life you're not limited to just that passiveness because Tonodachi Life kind of hit a wall where it's like oh you can move where your me goes like what place he goes to but then he just does what he does this one you're actually doing stuff there is meat on the bone if you choose to have battles not auto battle which is the default there is actual gameplay structure in there and what you do and the relationships you build between your me's matters so when you're battling there's this layer of depth that you'd expect from pretty much any rpg you know you have different classes they have different skills different status effects such as not kidding perpetually laughing and perpetually crying because again it's it's mitomo or mitopia things have to be weird so you can't be poisoned or paralyzed you have to be laughing to so hard that you can't battle or whatever it may be um and there's like ways you circumvent these and whatnot through the battle system but you also only control your your main me while the other three me's are computer controlled but you do have this like overarching control over what they call the sprinkle system where you can strategically give limited amounts of HP and MP which powers your special moves and life to other party members. You can have up to four people and as the battles are unfolding and as you're using your one guy you're also kind of strategically managing how the team as a whole can perform, what they can do who's alive, who's dead, all that so um, these sprinkles are of course again because of the weirdness of the game distributed by salt shakers giant salt shakers that just kind of hover above right. your fighters it's it's very strange but yeah so if you combine that strategy with the fact that there are special abilities for each class and you want to kind of mix and match classes because you can you have only four people battling but your party can be much bigger you know in the when you select them and stuff there's there's kind of this fun rhythm to it that is like a pretty like fast-paced rpg especially when you factor in different class combos so this is a really simplistic example from early in the game because i just played the demo but you can have a pop star class and you can have a regular like warrior and the pop star will let you do an encore and basically do a second attack so now you can plan around things like that and have like all these different strategies around that and then separate from the class system battles are also affected by this third layer of relationships between your party members and this feels very much like tomodachi life in that at the end of each area you auto travel to an inn and the inn restores your hp and your mp and your life and all that but also does it by having you assign two me's to a single room. So you have to share rooms because, you know, they can't afford their own beds, I guess. They have to share beds. But regardless, um, sharing a room boosts your friend meter. Boosting your friend meter means you have better battle performance between those two characters and how they interact, and they might help each other and that sort of thing. So now there's this whole third layer on top of the other two of strategy, which, again, comparing to Tondachi Life, there was nothing like that. And actually, now that I think about it, inns really are basically the apartment building from Tamodachi Life. Like, that part of the game is pretty much the same. You address the demands of your Miis in the inn. You, you know, they have little thought balls that tell you what they want. It could be they want food. They could want a new outfit. Sometimes they'll just buy an outfit with your money without telling you. And then you just... Well, not without telling you, but they're like, I want this outfit. I'm gonna buy it. Now, the demo didn't do this. They just warned you they could. So, I was like, okay. Um, So, yeah, which is like Tomodachi Life, where they are their own people, and they they have their own personalities, and sometimes they'll rebel against you. So there's kind of that. You also have to feed them, and feeding them determines, like, um, some of their stat boosting, because each me has their own like and dislike. You only have certain types of food. You have to kind of strategically give food to the right me's to get certain stat boosts. So there's, there's, like, a lot to this, but 
There, there's even actually now I think about it, there's even Mitomo callbacks in that the inn has arcade mode where there are two different games, a like roulette wheel and a rock paper scissors that will grant you additional items. So it's like all this stuff that kind of like everything Mies have been sort of squashed into one game, and then it's sort of like an, a streamlined arcadey RPG that comes out of it. It it actually, it it's actually really fun because like it's super streamlined when you go battle to battle. It literally runs itself. But the pace of the battles themselves are fast. There's depth in those battles. The relationship management is kind of interesting. Um, and then you've got, you know, on top of that, the weirdness, the tongue-in-cheek writing, the random elements that made Tanodashi Life fun to watch is here, just with actual gameplay to back it. And that's what kind of caught my attention. That's what's cool about it. It's like the super streamlined RPG plus the bizarre absurdity of Tanodashi Life, which I did like. It just there wasn't much to it after a point. But now there's actually something to it. Now, granted, this was only a demo. Granted, the demo was only two was over two hours long, and I like you can just keep playing it. It all ports to the final game, but I don't know as a result, you know, how quickly things get repetitive. I don't know how much grinding you have to do to get to new areas, like level grinding. So the final game may be more of a drag. But right now, it's very, you know, very like you're always moving forward. There's always new stuff to do. There's always so new think dialogue. Almost the demo itself was perfect for you. It was great. Yes, I don't need the full game, but I am going <laughs> the full game. No, but it was really enjoyable, and it kind of has like this whole like sleeper hit vibe to it. So I'm hoping. It's not ignored by folks when it comes out on July 28th. I know I'll be getting it, but yeah, it, it was different than different than what I normally, um, not why normally different than what I thought it would be. So that that was a pleasant surprise. I don't know if that sold you on it or not, but mm. or at least sold you on trying the demo. But I thought it was really cool. Sold me on trying the demo eventually. <laughs> all right, so you're basically no different than you were before me saying all this. I probably wasn't gonna try the demo. Oh, okay. Eventually. Well, then I'll take that as a win. But yeah. Um, the only other thing is outside Metopia, outside of ARMS, another thing I've been playing, it's been a busy couple of weeks of gaming for me, another thing I've been getting back into is Pokemon Go. And I just want to take a couple minutes here to talk about how the game actually receives some really positive changes. You like, get two. What? You get two. Well, I'm going to get more if I want. You're not going to hit stop record, are you? But you can't because we have to give away our contest prize. So I'm holding that as ransom. But, uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people like you, specifically Angel, um, have pro- you know you left Pokemon Go you never really looked back and- I definitely looked back but it wasn't more like like uh like actually I don't even know I definitely did look back I, I, I still keep up with the updates to see mm-hmm. like alright worth chat hot but... <laughs> well that'll be a while because no, now they're doing yeah. gameplay improvements I know, I know yeah no honestly yeah, yeah. I, I do look to see like um has the stuff beyond catching improved like is it anything is there anything that's actually going to get me to download it again I would argue but, the update they just did but everything, looks can be deceiving. There's a lot more to it. But everything I've seen from the update and just like impressions from people that have done a lot of raid mode battles, it still doesn't seem... Up your like, alley. Yeah. yeah. Raid mode's actually pretty big. Because like, basically what happens, you know, Pokemon Go had millions upon millions of players and they all sort of peeled off, but there's still like 65 million people thing, actively like, playing I, it. Because that's the thing. Like, I don't care about fighting a CPU. Like, well, I, yeah. I want to just play or trade with People. That's coming. Trading's coming. Battles between people are coming, but the CPU. I know that's right. But see, but because, but, yeah. but the, because it isn't like, yeah, that, that's, that's fair. That's pretty much it. That's fair, but um, it, they might as well have not updated. Is what I'm saying. As far as you're concerned, yeah, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. No, but it's, it's actually interesting how much it led to me playing it differently. Like I've done complete 180. I used to run out of Pokeballs. I used to run out of items. Like you know, for catching Pokemon, I have bountiful amounts. Stuff I didn't care about. Potions, revives, all that. I'm, I don't have enough anymore. Like, I've completely changed how I play the game because of raids and the new gyms, which is kind of interesting. And, like, it, it, 
it shaked it it shaked it up in ways more than I thought. So first there's the um there's the gym system. Instead of being like a first come first serve thing and staying occupied until someone's able to beat all those Pokemon and you can have like twelve of them in there or whatever and there's like you know that super powerful Dragonite that no one can beat, that's gone now. There's now a stamina system in place. It's called motivation. And a team, be it red, blue, yellow, can only have up to six Pokemon in a gym at any one time. And each Pokemon's longevity in that gym is determined by this like slowly yet steadily decreasing motivation bar. You can, at any time, visit your team's own gyms, boost individual Pokemon's motivation by giving them berries. Uh, but for the most part, what this means is there's a higher turnover rate at gyms, since most gyms will maybe have three or four Pokemon in them versus a dozen. So it's a, and people, you know, and people are having a lot of fun with these gyms too, in the sense of like because you get put Pokemon in so much more frequently, that lets you not necessarily say I want the most powerful Pokemon there. They're doing themes. It's like the real Pokemon. It's like it's a water gym. It's a grass gym. It's a gym of all Eevee evolutions. It's a gym of all pink Pokemon. Like people are kind of messing with it in some fun ways. But um, the high turnover is also a major upside because it means there's more reason to go fight the gym, since you have better odds of succeeding at getting the gym. And to go kind of hand-in-hand hand with that, there's also this gym badge system that gives you credit for recapturing the same gyms multiple times. You know, just visiting them to give berries to Pokemon, whatever it may be. You go, you get your gym rank increased. Then when you go back to the gyms, which are now Pokestops as well, meaning you get items every time you visit them, you get better items the higher your gym rank. So there's this whole, like, multiple feedback loops going on at once now instead of just like, well, that's a powerful dog trio. I'm going to stay away or whatever. <laughs> so that's kind of nice. The downside, however is that motivation now dictates a Pokemon's strength. So if you feed someone a lot of berries, they will actually become physically more powerful. And while you think that would be a good thing, because it means newer players or lower level players could in theory have a shot at the same gym success as a level 36 guy, what it actually does is make taking a gym just that much more time consuming. It's not hard. You just need to whittle down multiple Pokemon's motivation to zero, and that requires repeatedly battling them and defeating them because it only takes away chunks With each boredom time. to take away their yeah. motivation. So, like, taking a gym goes from perhaps previously a couple-minute activity to upwards of 15 or more minutes if you're playing solo, maybe even 20 or 25. Mm. Luckily for me, I always tag-team the gyms with someone else, so I'm never playing solo, and it goes pretty quick. But I can see how it could be a serious like problem a battery for issue. It is also a battery issue, yeah. So gyms are like a kind of... They work both ways. There's a lot that's good. There's some that's bad. But overall, it encourages you to engage with them more, encourages you to do more with them, and it kind of just adds more gameplay to what was, as you point out, a pretty simple system before. There's now this extra thing. The other big change, though, is arguably the the cooler and the more significant gameplay shakeup, and that are raid battles, which you already pointed out. You know, if you're not into bashing CPU con- control Pokemon, as has been the case for the past year. You're not going to find this interesting, but if you're okay with that mechanic, you just want something new to do with that mechanic, raid battles are actually really cool. Essentially what happens is every so often a gym will swap out six Pokemon for a big, powerful, rare Pokemon for a very limited time. You and a group of other players are then tasked with taking it down by all battling together co-op, and once you do that, you then all get a chance to catch that rare Pokemon. So these Pokemon are often like harder to find ones, like there's a Croconaw or like something like that, which you don't really see out in the world, or the more powerful ones of what you do see out in the world, but it's more, you know, worth your while. And what's especially great about it is that it kind of shakes up the redundancy of like a typical Pokemon catching. If you follow any sort of routine, like if you go home, go work, go school, whatever, you're used to seeing pretty much the same Pokemon every day with maybe a random one popping up every now and then. Like just the other day, out of nowhere, there's a Hitmontop by my office. And I was like, oh, whoa, I've never seen that before. But the times I go, oh, whoa, I've never seen that before with Pokemon Go are like once a month. So the fact that like raid battles kind of circumvent that is kind of nice. Because with raids, 
they give you variety variety like desperately needed in the game not just in terms of pokemon selection but also in terms of gameplay variety because now i'll give you that that's yeah that's a pretty big deal if you're if you're especially if you're into catching them like that definitely makes a big difference yeah and and not people don't have the luxury of having a nice big park or just right or living in a major or you know being they might be in a rural area and on top of that not only does it give you the pokemon variety but i was trying to say like the gameplay variety you types matter now pokemon types actually matter you want to not just have powerful pokemon you need ones that can actually be super effective against the raid Pokemon because they're just that big and that strong. So, actually, some have found, now that I think about it, in, in the game code, some have found that Niantic will soon be uh, rolling out a battle team mechanic that lets you preset certain groups of six Pokemon to take into battle. So they are encouraging this sort of strategy down the line where you, you're not just doing your most powerful CP, your highest level Pokemon. You want this specific team against that type of Pokemon, that specific team against some other Pokemon, so that already is a layer strategy that was never there before. Granted, shallow layer layer strategy, but strategy that wasn't there before nonetheless. And um, and since all the gyms, um, sorry, since all the raids require working together, the game actually gives you advanced warning about raids, which means you don't have to like. It's not one of those things where you're like, you open the game, you're like, oh, there's a Porygon nearby, cool, and you're like, ah, but I don't have ten minutes to go get a Porygon. This one will be like, in an hour and a half, there's a raid, and it will last an hour. Plan accordingly. So if you happen to have 10 minutes anytime an hour and a half from now, hey, guess what? You can go do a raid and you know it's coming. You could sort of anticipate it and get people to go with you, which is which is kind of nice. Um, oh, and also the raids are tracked just like Pokemon. So there's a Pokemon tracker and a raid tracker and they share the same screen. You flip between them. So like, much like with normal Pokemon, you know where to find these rarer ones and how to catch them. So it's not like you're not have no way of tracking. But once you capture them, it's they will just as a normal Pokemon and not like a yes. raid. They're, Pokemon, they're, right? they're usually stronger. So you don't have normal. to capture like a whole set of like, oh, I got a Pikachu R. No, 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 no. Pikachu. They're regular Pikachu Pokemon. R. They're regular Pokemon. But but the other nice thing about raids is it also kind of skews the uh, the whole team system. Like that doesn't matter. All that matters is. Um, having people raid with you there's like ratings of how strong or weak a raid is and you want the more people you can get because i mean the thing is with the team system it was great when there were you know hundreds of millions of players but as people peeled off the smaller teams as in team instinct you know you're not necessarily gonna be able to find as many members of team instinct near you and be able to go do a raid with those team members so they kind of took that out to let you raid with anyone regardless of team affiliation the only team related thing it does is track which team did the most damage but that doesn't do anything it's just a stat like, it literally doesn't affect anything. It's just a stat. But, yeah, besides that, it's, it's you know, a total free-for-all, which is especially useful since you need as many people as possible to do a raid. And the, the funny thing is, like, the first time I did a raid, I was over by my office, and we go, and other people just showed up. Like, it is the most slightly awkward thing you will ever do. Like, you go there, you have your Pokemon game out, someone walks up, it's like, oh, oh, are you... Are you playing Pokemon Go too? It's like, yeah, I'm good. Are you like, still you, playing? Are, are you doing the raid? Like, yeah. And it's like, oh, let's do the raid. So there are like six of us trying to take down this Pokemon. We Aww. did not succeed, sadly. Aww. But the funny thing is, and this is where it gets awkward. Like, that's you know the whole like stranger encounter for the first time. Stranger I, thing. Stranger danger. No, but that that's there's no way around that awkwardness. Just like, oh yeah, I'm I'm playing Pokemon too. That's gonna happen. But the weird one is when you have someone sing in their car. You have a circle of six of you playing. And a seventh guy rolls up in his car, parks, and tries to join your raid, but won't talk to you, won't come out of his car, and is just, like, hiding in his car. And you're all like, well, we're, we're giving up on the raid. And you start walking away, and they just see him in his car just looking around really confused. It's like, dude, just get out of your car. But anyway, the raid system, most of the time, you don't have six people with you. Most of the time, it seems like it'd be 
honestly a perfect system for say comic-con or the pokemon go fest they're doing in chicago or something like that but for the lesser intense raids like the lower rated raids it it's really fun and you don't need that many people so it's a really cool addition like i didn't expect raids or even the new gen system to really affect how i play pokemon go but like i was saying before my items have completely reversed like i need items to heal pokemon because i'm doing so many more battle things than i ever did before battles were meaningless to me before i did not care about gyms now i'm like focused solely on gyms so if my if my auntie keeps building on that and does you know trading and ba- uh person to person battling like you were saying at the top of all this i think i think it could be pretty cool and the nice thing is according to an interview with the verge with uh, niantic ceo they have caught up to the delays caused by the server stress apparently their roadmap was pushed back six months due to all the crazy server stress last year they've caught up to that now meaning if everything was six months delayed we would have had raids and battles six months after launch instead of a year so if they're doing new features every three or four months with new pokemon in between that is pretty solid update rates that's a really healthy like turnover rate of new features so it could i think the future is pretty bright for pokemon go it's never gonna reach the peak it was a year ago and it's crazy to think that it launched literally a year ago already but like it it will live on as like this kind of real world mmo and have a pretty healthy uh, user base there's 65 million people still playing it monthly so there's definitely an audience for this and it's cool that they're catering to them and that that's kind of my thoughts on pokemon go well yeah that's good to hear for the game sure is and for jason the player of the game as long as people are playing games that makes me happy right yeah. and we have one final order of business before we wrap up the show um we need to pick our winner of the e3 swag pack so to remind everyone the swag pack comes with a mario odyssey pin and cappy visor arms sleeves and a pin set of six pins and two splatoon 2 inkling pins and they were given out in town's booth we got them we're giving them to you and we asked you for a chance to win this what your favorite part of e3 was and we got a lot of great responses actually i did some number crunching unsurprisingly mario odyssey was the most popular answer with nearly a third of all our answers saying they were mario odyssey was their favorite thing of e3 but right behind it kind of surprisingly not metroid prime 4 metroid Samus returns that got a quarter of all the responses and then behind that were mentions of metroid prime well, 4 and mario and rabbit didn't have anything to that's do. true but the way that the internet freaked out when it was first announced maybe think someone would consider oh but that's pre Samus returns being announced that's true there are also mentions of Metro Prime 4 and Mario and Rabbids and Rocket League and Xenoblade and weirdly enough Shadow of the Colossus for PS4. So it's a pretty diverse set of uh, answers, which indicates to me that it's a pretty good E3 overall. Like if so many people had so many different things they're excited from one show, like that that's a good excited about from one show. That that's that's cool, you know. And we also got one shout out from a listener, uh, Banshee NZ, who uh, we have a video in our E3 gallery for those who haven't seen it. It's at it's under uh, the extras at Ramtown.com. It's a twerking tomato from the Ubisoft booth. And, yeah, it has a special place in my heart. And Ban- uh, Banshee NZ shouted out, so he, he gets a special props for that. But ultimately, there could only be one winner. And we chose one winner, and that winner is W. Chillin' Man. So <laughs> that's his name. So congrats, W. Chillin' Man. It also sounds like I'm just describing what he's doing. It's like, hey, our former president, he's just chillin', man. W. But, uh, yeah. We're going to email you with information on how to get your prize and get your uh, mailing address. And for everyone else, thank you so much for entering. We will have more contests in the future. We like to do digital things normally. So maybe, I don't know, eShop giveaway coming up. Just saying could happen. You might want to keep an eye on things for that. Just hinting. Possibly. Possibly. But anyway, that pretty much does it for this episode. Uh, next episode should be a good one if we do say so ourselves, which you mean we do. will. 
it will be a good one because we are going to be at Comic-Con. Comic-Con 2017 episode is our next episode. We'll be going hands-on. Is Total Dial or Cyndaquil? I don't know. Hmm. Might be Total Dial, but while well, you figure it out, hopefully it's Total Dial. Well, hopefully it's Total Dial. The same order as like, Bul- like it goes Bulbasaur, Charmander, Squirtle. Hopefully it's Total Dial for one reason, one reason only, and that is we have ha- we will have hands-on impressions of the new 2DS XL, which accent color is the same shade of blue as Total Dial himself. So it would be good, like synergy. But along with impressions of that, you can also look forward to Hey Pikmin impressions, uh, plus it's whatever. Cool. Uh, well, there goes that theory. So yeah, we'll have new 2DS, Hey Pikmin, whatever other surprises Nintendo may have up their sleeve at Comic-Con. But, because Comic-Con lasts through Sunday, our next episode will not be going live on July 23rd as it should if it followed our schedule. Instead, we're going to need a day or two to decompress, get sleep, process everything, and present it to you. So expect it a day or two late. Easiest way to make sure you don't miss it is subscribe to us on whatever podcasting app you use. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast Ag, whatever it is. Hit us up on there. We're on all of them. You can also uh, follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo, and as soon as we have a solid date, we will tweet it out. And then, of course, we will tweet out the podcast when it's live as well as put it on all those services. So that's in two weeks' time. We will see you then, whenever then ends up being. <laughs>